0: Hey! Is that the homegrown? Is that the homegrown podcast? What's up? He's John shop yeah. Pete Randall. Not much that these two can't handle. Right. Your broadcast, you ramble. This homegrown, our preamble. <laughs> Listen closely, and you're going see. Point of view with the Great Lake Swing. Ain't a thing, boy. boy. It's the 18, boys. boy. You can see what I mean, boy. boy. Come on with the theme, boy. Everybody on, on your tablet or your phone. Subscribe to the podcast, it's homegrown. Subscribe to the podcast, it's homegrown. The name of the podcast is homegrown. What everybody on, on your tablet or your phone. Subscribe to the podcast, it's homegrown. Subscribe to the podcast, it's homegrown. The name of the podcast is homegrown. It's
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Homegrown Podcast. Thank you for tuning back in, and if you're a first time listener, I super appreciate, and we super appreciate you listening. Um, Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can search the Homegrown Podcast. Uh, That's where we drop all of our news about uh, certain episodes. Our links are there, everything like that. You can follow us there. Um, Another big shout out to Chris Godzilla Taylor who made our intro music. We my friend, we have received a lot of uh, amazing notes about the intro, so I want to thank you again for doing that, um, and shout out to Chad Curtin who designed our logo. We always like to make sure people know where we get our stuff from. Um, today I have a really interesting conversation ahead of us. Um, it's an old friend of mine that I met back actually when we were probably teenagers to pre-teen age, um, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining and uh, coming on.
2: Thank you for having me, John. It's great to be here.
1: Um, So we met at Camp Trosun. And for those of you that don't know, um, it's a Korean culture camp that is hosted in Hudson, Wisconsin, which is literally right on the border of Minneapolis, Minnesota and Hudson, Wisconsin. So it's like half hour drive to the Twin Cities from there. Um, But we met, shoot, it was probably, I was probably 15, I think. 14 or 15, I would have to say, somewhere around there. (laughs) Um, So, this camp is meant for families who have Korean adoptee children, um, for them to kind of have a week of time to participate in regular, like average summer camp stuff, like arts and crafts and things, but it's more focused about the Korean culture um, so people can learn about it. Uh, So, let's start off there. So, you were born and raised in. Was it in Minneapolis or was it just on the suburbs outside of Minneapolis? So Where did you grow up?
2: Yeah. So I was raised, easiest way to say it if someone's not familiar with Minnesota would be St. Paul, Minnesota. But I actually grew up in a suburb 15 minutes out and it's called Matamidai. Most people don't know it unless you live in the area.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the only reason why I know is because I we knew some like mutual people yeah. that lived in like that same area. Is that near White Bear Lake or no? Am it's pretty much under... White
2: Bear Lake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Because yeah. I had been, I outside of camp and like I would hung, hang out with friends from camp, it would be like in White Bear Lake, which.
2: Exactly. Actually, not... fun fact, Matamirai in Ojibwe means White Bear Lake
1: or oh, White crazy. Bear, one of those. Right. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, um, so what was so what was being raised like? So you were obviously adopted, right? Um, into a family. How old were you when you were adopted? Pretty young.
2: I was adopted um, from South Korea when I was four months.
1: Okay, so super. Very young. So kind of yeah. So same, same like me because I think I was like f- five months. Yeah, about five months. Um, are, do you have any siblings, older, yes. or younger?
2: I have one older sister, and okay. um, she's three and a half years older than me.
1: Is and she she's also... also
2: she's also adopted from South Korea. Yes.
1: Okay. Same biological family or no? No, no. Uh, so different all...
2: different family. Oh. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, is your family uh, what uh, ethnicity are they? Are they white, black, Asian?
2: They're white. Yes. White. Yeah.
1: yeah. Whole fam is like your whole family makeup that way. I would yeah. assume. Yeah.
2: So my mom is from Minnesota,
1: okay. f- small
2: farm town, Ogama, and she's Scandinavian to a core. Okay. Like. All my family relatives are blonde hair, blue eyed,
0: oh. you know,
2: Amazonian people. <laughs> and then my dad is uh, from New York, um, okay. but some more Russian, Hungarian kind of background, oh, yeah. but still Caucasian.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you have a lot of family that you grew up with in Minnesota or is it mostly just like you, your core family?
2: Um, we would go... Up north to go visit my mom's side of the family because okay, gotcha. it was just a few hours away, but sure. that would wouldn't be all the time, just for holidays and just to see yeah. grandpa and everything.
1: Yeah. Do you do you know why your parents wanted to adopt from Korea or why they decided to adopt in general? Or because I know everyone's kind of like story is a little bit different, so I didn't absolutely be, if yeah. You, if, if you knew or not,
2: I'm trying to think right now. The wheels all are right. turning. Um. So why my mom did adopt was. Because um, they couldn't actually have children. So Mm -hmm. they definitely wanted to be parents. And they're amazing parents. So I'm glad that they
0: (laughs) (laughs) became parents.
2: As why they picked South Korea, I believe that at the time, South Korea had a really good reputation internationally. Mm. And I think they wanted to adopt internationally. And they knew that, yeah, just the whole process and everything was very... um, legitimate and um, yeah. accessible and everything. So I believe that's why they chose South Korea.
1: Yeah, because that, that's kind of the same with my family. My dad's a pastor. And so through his, there's like an organization called Lutheran something, yeah, yeah. Child Service mm-hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he kind of the same thing, I think. Like they yeah. kind of just heard that South Korea at the time, because right now the laws have changed. So it's extremely hard to adopt from Korea. But back then it was really... Everything you said, like super reputable, you know, it was not that crazy of a process when you're talking about international, which can be kind of messy oh, depending also, on what country.
2: sorry to interrupt, but oh, no, I think, sorry, I'm just like remembering everything. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. Another thing too is I know that there was a really big need for mm. South Korean babies who needed to be adopted. So I think that was a big thing is that my parents oh, interesting. We're looking at where the biggest need was and it was- Okay. um girls south koreans babies, sure yeah.
1: So, yeah 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 um and then i think like i can't remember if it's my cousin my mom like some family friend or actually family had adopted to like a child from korea previous before my sister who's four years older and also from korea so like they kind of knew people that had done it and they were really like ex- you know happy about their choice yeah um So what was your what was your school like? Was it because St. Paul can be relatively diverse, but I also know that there's pockets that it's really not. So what was that like? Was your school diverse or (laughs) by your by your tone? I'm Uh, guessing no.
2: So I said for people that don't know Minnesota, it's St. Paul. Mm. It's not St. Paul. Uh, I wish it was St. Paul sometimes. Mata is very I don't know if I want to use this word because it's. A negative connotation, but we it's notorious for being very white yeah. and okay. conservative. Okay, uh, so Mata Mirai, where I grew up, was very white, like um, which I'm, is
1: ironic considering the name of this town. Like,
2: exactly, now. exactly. <laughs> but I, that, that's it was like me there, and sorry. like a <laughs> few more people who were like people of color. Yeah.
1: So. okay, so you have relatively small. Exposure maybe to diversity. Which is interesting because like even that close to like a pretty relatively big city, like it shows you how quickly it becomes lack of diversity in like suburbs, right? Um and I like also
2: oh sorry to interrupt. No, no, go no go ahead, go ahead. I'm a talker, like I said. Sorry. That's (laughs) Um, why we had you on. Yeah. Uh but oh my gosh, I just had a brain fart. I was gonna say something. Um oh no worries. But what was I gonna say? Uh, so, I don't know what I was gonna say. Continue, John. Sorry uh, for interrupting. That's oh, no, that's for me no interrupting worries. you. No okay.
1: worries, no worries. Okay. Um, there is no interruption on this. This is what conversations about. All right. Um, so, what was what was just like your? I guess because I think a lot of people don't understand when it comes to having all the amazing things of adoption, right? Like we can talk about all the great things, which I think a lot of people know about just kind of, you know, by stereotyping adoption, like you're helping a child, obviously. That child was probably had gone through some circumstantial thing where that family wanted better life for them. And so you're doing a great thing. But I think what people don't realize is how depending on where you grow up and go to school, how isolating it can be, right? Because you're already isolated in a way, as much as you love your family, I love my family, like it's very co- obvious that we're adopted, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when, because my family's the same way. Mm-hmm. My dad's kind of German, Irish. My mom's a hundred percent Norwegian. So it's, mm-hmm. when you see a family photo of all of us, like it's pretty obvious who's not Right. Biologically related, right? What was so? What was that like growing up? I guess in school and maybe at home of just trying to find who you are. I guess more more of your identity was that ever an issue? Was it something that came to you quickly or?
2: So, I don't know. I kind of feel like my journey, like we're so similar, but I guess the mm. difference too is that, um, and I'm sure you noticed too, like at camp Chose and everything. Like I'm. I'm kind of like ethnically ambiguous. Like I have like bigger eyes and I have like eyelashes. Like there are some like different features. So that's like a whole different can of worms. I want to like bring up too is like being ethnically ambiguous and yeah. being a Korean adoptee and growing up in like white America. It's just so right. many layers. So what was interesting is in middle school, I actually had a really good friend and we just got done with Jim and we were changing and she was looking at me and I'm like, what are you looking at Lindsay? And she's just like, I know you're adopted, but you look so similar to your mom. And what's funny is that, like, my adoptee mom and I actually have very similar features. I mean, obviously, I'm Asian and she's white, but we have similar jawlines. I think our smiles, like, for some reason, we just kind of have some similar characteristics. And then my dad, because he's Russian-Hungarian and Russia is, you know, close to Asian, has darker features. Mm. He kind of has smaller eyes, darker features so what's interesting um i don't know if i'm like digressing but when uh i was in south korea with my family oh my gosh like 20 years i don't know when i was 13 like many years ago 15 12 years ago um we went to the adoption plays with documents and everything where you kind of learn more about your adoption and your background and my sister was there and there was this cute adorable woman she had this flower in her hair and she had just this cute she's a petite little korean woman Mm -hmm. and she was working the file room and everything and she goes up to my sister and starts talking to my parents and she's literally talking to her like 15 20 minutes and then all of a sudden my mom was like okay like enough about Lindsay and everything what about you know Elizabeth our daughter she and I'll like never forget this it's like you know how Koreans are like yeah. no space like there's no yeah, bubble yeah, thing like yeah. you, they don't know you so she goes up to me and she's literally my height at 13 she's just an adorable woman and she goes up to me puts her hands on my face and she looks at me she's squinting and she's like uh-uh uh-uh you you biological you not adopted you biological uh. and I still remember that and then my mom was like she was like, no, she's, she's definitely adopted. And she's like, so it had to like convince her and everything. No, so yeah. it was, so I guess like the layer two where it's like, I kind of have some ethnically ambiguous mm. aspects to myself. And I use that for my acting too, which I know we're going to get yeah. into as well, um, which honestly adds so many different layers too, because being sure. Korean adopted and knowing that I'm Korean and even out being, living in Los Angeles, I actually had an Uber driver and I knew he was Korean cause his last name was Park. And, yeah. um, you know, and he looked Korean and everything yeah, and we were right. talking and I was sitting in the back seat and I remember him being like, so what's your ethnicity? And I'm like, i'm south korean i'm korean like you and he he's driving but he takes two seconds to look back and he looks (laughs) in the review he's like no you're not he's like no you're not you're lying so i've definitely gotten that like a lot too which kind of makes it even a more like difficult Mm. journey i guess for the fact that the place that like know that i'm adopted from i still don't really look like it because you know yeah. there's always you know genetic stuff and no. i don't know who my father is and stuff like that so that was definitely just an added thing too so,
1: right was yeah. it harder was it harder because of that to like connect with korean culture in a way for you like growing going to camp Chosun because yeah. you're right, like knowing you back like now looking at it like you do look very you may be mistaken as maybe not full Korean. Like yes. I could see that. Especially yeah. like when we're talking about like mutual people that you and I know. Like definitely, yeah, you may stick out maybe a little bit more than like I would in a in, yeah. a, in a group of us. And you know in
2: I'm such an easygoing person. And I think that that's mm. what's made me very empathetic in life, which I love now that I yeah. like am friends with everyone because yeah. of this issue. So I never change anything. But growing up, you know, I also did Mi too, or Jungmi yeah, now. No, yeah, um, so I did my, I my traditional yeah. Korean dancing. Yeah. Um, and, but still on the topic of, you know, how we look and everything uh, or how I look and everything. I remember that there was a Korean makeup artist that came in um, to Brooks um, okay. Our, you know, dance instructor. And mm-hmm. she was teaching how to apply makeup to Asian, you know, East Asian women right. and eyes. And, you know, she brought all this makeup for everyone and everything. And I remember they're joking. And we were young. So I'm not like offended, but it's still kind of just the aspect where all the girls looked at me and they were like, oh, Elizabeth doesn't need this because she has, you know, big white people eyes or yeah. you know big eyes. So you can just go sit in the corner. So actually, yeah. like. I did say, because I couldn't partake. And it was, and it was fine. I mean, no, you know, we were young, we were like, school age, and it It wasn't like they shunned me there It's just I didn't really have a
1: place So No but I think like What people like Don't understand is like Everyone has jabs Like even you know mm -hmm. Like and even And especially back then Like you're talking Right and I wanted to fit in Exactly And it was a thing
2: where it's like You know we're a dance troupe We did a lot of stuff together And then there You guys are like
1: like, I always equated it Because like I knew a lot of you It's like It's like a basketball team Exactly It's like a a sports team Where it's like You're gonna give each other shit Exactly It doesn't necessarily come From a place of hate but more of a like, I know maybe Elizabeth kids about this in her own life, so I'm gonna just mm-hmm. jab her a little bit. Yeah. But it's interesting though that like, as Korean adoptees, I think we all know how hard it is c- to connect to both American white culture and our own uh, Korean culture. So it's interesting that even those, again, all kid times, but still had had known like had the makeup to know about that. No pun intended with the word makeup. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nah. So was that just so? how how was that balance like growing and finding yourself right because I think as myself like I have a hard I've always had a hard time identifying like being comfortable of just like who I am but I always had the like the the back lean to know like well at least like when I go out like people always know I'm Korean like I've had Filipino, Thai, like all the, all the things that make up Asia. Now like, oh, you're Korean, right? It's like, yeah, no. So I never had, and I, sometimes I wish I did. Like I could just like, oh, you have white Like I was, I sometimes wish I had white eyes or quote unquote white eyes. You know what I mean? Was that, was that, what was just finding yourself like then at that point?
2: Uh, wait, can you repeat that? Sorry.
1: What was it just like, I guess, finding yourself through? Yeah you know, because again, when, what people don't know is like this camp that we were like for a time for, I think a majority of us, we can say it took a lot of our time Mm. and focus and energy because it was really fun to know about our culture, but be around each other too. And Mm. so like we're really tied into it, but what was that like? Yeah. Finding yourself.
2: So honestly, it's been a struggle and Mm. I guess it's kind of interesting and uh kind of like a new or not interesting but i guess recently honestly i would say as weird as it is i have no idea why cuz it's literally the most isolating horrible time but obviously the pandemic which mm. is still going on right i feel like just with i don't even know like stuff is always going on you know like mm. social injustice and stuff like yeah. that but for some reason i don't know i just feel like I've kind of maybe hit, like, my tipping point and everything, and I finally kind of found, like, my voice. And I think what made it so difficult for me to find my voice through my life is all of the things that we discussed with mm. being ethnically ambiguous being adopted, right. growing up in white America, it was so hard for me, especially as a young person developing and growing up to be able to identify who I was and then mm. to be confident with that. And I think that, you know, I hit a point where, you know, like as you grow more into adulthood and you mature and you live life right. and everything, um, actually, you want to know what I'm trying <laughs> fishing for words and everything, but I think one very pivotal thing would be moving out of the very Caucasian centric Midwest to Mm. the more diverse California, especially Los Angeles. I believe that really helped me. Um, So one thing that I've always struggled with, especially growing up in like white Midwest is feeling confident And Mm. the worst part is it's not like, you know, my looks or my skills. It's honestly my race. Um, So often growing up (laughs) um, and I would have I would be so uncomfortable sharing this right now, John. But like that's about like I'm like I have to share all this stuff is, you know, I had so many guys growing up would be like, oh, you're gorgeous for an Asian girl or that's fucked up. Yeah. Or just I don't know, just being like, oh, you're exotic or not really considering me like a person like Saying, you know, I kind of always just got the illusion that, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed was the epitome of, like, perfection Mm. and beauty. And I was just always going to be seen as lesser. And that was just so tough growing up because, like... I did model when I was a teenager and, yeah. you know, I knew I knew it was beautiful, like obviously, but yeah. it was still just that aspect of, you know, guys I was interested in and just society in general, just being in the area and then moving out here to Los Angeles, seeing other people who are like me, because Los Angeles is on top of just being diverse. There's a lot of very mixed people who kind of yeah. look like me, which is yeah. really um, nice. And then... I guess it's—and even just being an actor now, too, and just meeting people who kind of, you know, look like me and come from, like, similar struggles and everything. I feel like I can finally kind of find my place and kind of see, too, that if there's people who kind of look like me or who are similar to me, that I am good enough, that I am right. good. I just never really saw that in the Midwest because I was so isolated and I was so alone. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that you— You know, got it too, John. Where you know a lot of people, it was more ignorant, which bothered me so much because sometimes I felt like it wasn't even out of anger or hate; it was just Mm. out of ignorance. Where people would just say very racist,
1: yeah, blatantly
2: racist things. You know, I had that through college too. Um, There, no, that's interesting. Like,
1: let's dive into that because, like, I think it's interesting when people like the ignorance versus like race. Just racism, right? Yeah. And racism, I always say for me, like personally, yeah. it's the easiest thing to deal with because you're just an idiot. Like if you're that right, ra- you know what I mean? Like if you're that racist mm-hmm. where like you're going out and spitting on a black person and going up to an Asian person and go back to your own country, like keep doing you because like you, I'm never going to run into you because <laughs> I'm at different levels than you are, right? Absolutely. But when it comes to ignorance, people f- think that it, doesn't hurt or that because there's no sometimes ill intention that it should just be easier to deal with. But I think that sometimes, like you said, because it doesn't come from a place of hurt, the person that gets left behind is us, right? Yes. Because we can't say like, well, fuck so-and-so because they ask this question. It's like, well, we have to rub that off our shoulder in a way. Exactly. We be, make it uh, our burden. And uh, what
2: I'm learning too is, interesting. is that Like, sorry to interrupt John, but like I'm totally feeling what you're saying is that, and I'm like totally snapping right now that like, like literally like, sorry, my brain key is like all over the place, but exactly like what you're saying. Like, I completely agree that it's, you know, ignorance is bliss. That's like the thing that people always say, and it kind of is in some aspects because people kind of write it off, but realizing now that that's not okay, Mm.
0: that whether it's
2: ignorant, whether it's ill intent, if it's racism, it's wrong and you shouldn't say it and you need to learn that it's not okay and so often sometimes I blame myself that I kind of just let it go or shook it off where maybe I should have stood up maybe I should have said something like hey Mm. man or hey girl actually I wouldn't say hey girl but hey you know person Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah you know that's you know not cool or whatever um
1: but I think that's like that's unfortunately what a lot of people of color especially like brothers and sisters of ours within the black community go Mm -hmm. through. Like there's so much that you have to like, all right, is this worth my time and effort right now to do this? Cause like it's going to happen again, right? Like, you know, it's going to happen again. So like, is this the time that I want to talk about or is it not? And so Mm -hmm. when, but especially when young females talk about interfacing, like facing racism, I always just tell them though too, and not like this is going to sound maybe in the wrong direction, but I always understand like why you don't because as a, as a male mystic person of like, I think I can protect myself. I still don't always go out there and say like the, Hey, shut, shut up. Don't mind your own business thing. Like it's a lot and it's, and it's scary because like it gets to that level so quickly of race, I'm like, how the fuck did we just get here? Like, I just said, hey, do you mind watching blah blah blah? Now all of a sudden, you're telling me to go to back to my own country. Like it was so, it, it <laughs> happened yeah. so fast. So I understand too. So like, I I try to tell people like, never apologize for having to not want to stick up that day because like, fuck, it's it's a lot. Um, but what? It, so going through being raised and everything, were were your parents open? to kind of like dual cultures of also making sure that as much as they want to talk about their family history and where your family comes from, um, especially like different European countries like Russia and love are very proud of their heritage. Um, what was that like? What was, what did you have an open like railway to Korean culture or was it a battle or what was that like?
2: So I just think like I'm super lucky and super grateful to have amazing parents mm. um i'm not saying this because they'll probably listen to this podcast i'm just kidding <laughs> um, but um no they really are just truly amazing honestly mm. from the get-go when we were little um i'm sure you had similar things where like when you were like young you would always play dress up and then my parents would always play music in the background in like the mm-hmm. living room and you know you'd mm-hmm. just be playing around and doing stuff so you know we'd be you know playing um kitchen or dress up or whatever in our living room and you know we had speakers and music mm-hmm. playing all the time and instead of it being like i mean we we listened to like rafi and you know like right. all the you know typical kid stuff but my parents made sure to to play like a lot of um multicultural even adoption uh, type of songs like there's actually one where it's like there are lots of ways to be a forever family lots of ways oh, for you. Okay, and then cool. like there was even one that was like mommy tell me what does it mean to be adopted and then it kind of goes and then like it kind of goes kinda, through the yeah, process of what it is so my parents awesome. were very open and then they're very open to you know jungmi um mm, you know the yeah. traditional korean mm-hmm. dance troupe um super supportive and then camp chosen too like i'm very grateful that My parents were so open with my sister and I when it came to adoption, because I know that that, you know, can be a really big um, issue for a lot of adoptee families. Um, And I'm just so grateful that they did, because it's already such a struggle as is kind of as we've been talking about through the podcast, Mm -hmm. that having at least that little bit of clarity and opportunity to learn a little bit of where you came from mm-hmm. is super important. So they were, you know, super into that. And then um, from my parents' kind of side, you're talking about. So my mom is Scandinavian Norwegian. So for years, we would actually go up, and we still do every now and again. Um, but there just hasn't been snow when the COVID happened. Um, there is a place in northern Minnesota called maple log that looks like maple Mm. leg it's um norwegian and it's a cross-country ski resort so okay we would go up there for christmas every year and um the food that they serve is all norwegian so it's like lutefisk and lefse and everything so uh, exactly and then (laughs) growing up too my mom loved to make like boiled cabbage and sauerkraut so a lot of just very and i i like it you know like just boiled brats and everything so that was really good and then Um, My dad, you know, he's, they're Jewish, they're Orthodox Mm -hmm. Jewish. So, you know, when we go visit my grandma for Thanksgiving and everything, we would partake in Shabbat, you know, like not turn on lights, not touch money, you know, do any of that. And all the, you know, all Mm -hmm.
0: the
2: (laughs) prayer and everything and the challah and everything. So, um, so yeah, I feel like it's, it's cool. Like, like I said, like, I'm, there's so, you know, so many cultures, so much everything. My mom on top of it is, you know, from a Roman Catholic background. And then my dad is Orthodox Jewish. So there's so many different yeah. then me being adopted. But I'm kind of, I used to think it was just a hot mess and just like so much going on. <laughs> and I'm like yeah. this identity crisis all this time would be like, yeah. what's up? But at this point, I'm like, I wouldn't want my life any other way because it's made yeah. me such a multicultural highly highly empathetic understanding person to everyone and i think that's cool so
1: yeah yeah no because that's like super diverse right like it sounds <laughs> it sounds like it was really balanced though in a way of like each each thing got its time and its yeah. respect and its understanding of like why you do that or why you partake exactly in and it was with people who
2: who mm. i love too so i mean that was like the aspect of probably empathizing and like loving it. Yeah. Like, Oh, this is interesting. Like, why don't they turn the lights? But it's my, you know, aunt and uncle, my cousins that love me and cherish me. And then
1: right. why am
2: I eating lutefisk? You know what lutefisk is, right? It's like, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. It's no, like my fish dipped in turpentine. That's how I
2: say it is.
1: <laughs> everything's giving a Christmas. My exactly. It,
2: yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's like, we would have family cause it was pretty close to where my mom's side yeah. of family is would come. And I completely love all of them and everything. So it's just, A lot of love and i think that has helped me to to not really like judge people or prejudge Mm, people regardless mm -hmm. and i'm grateful for that because
0: Mm -hmm.
2: i know so many people from you know different you know political views you know religion yeah just any point but i still learn ways to kind of like love and care for them which i think is super you know important so
1: Yeah. yeah when did you um start like asking more about your adoption and stuff because i think each adoptee has a moment in their lives that they realize like oh i really want to like figure this out and figure out my story because what for what people may not know that are listening right now korean with their adoption process as good as it was there's a lot of loopholes in it that like for example, you may not get your real story, right? Like the story that they put in your file may be the quickest way to get you out the door. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes it's, um, made up. Sometimes it has a little information of maybe like your actual parents, like it may be their names, but their situation may be entirely different. So just for people that are listening. Um, so when when did that start when did that journey begin because that's it's a big moment for every adoptee because I think for the parents it's the first time that they're being asked f- these questions but with intention right like we're going on and making sure we ask like well why did like how did this happen? how did you blah 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 when did that how did that all fold out for you?
2: All right. Ready for another monologue? I'm just kidding. No, 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 let's get
1: into it. Again, this is why I wanted you on because I know that we can die deep. So let's get into it. Chatty,
2: Kathy. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, So I was really lucky. So obviously growing up, the biggest puzzle piece for any adoptee anywhere domestically, internationally is who the heck are my parents?
1: Right. Where did I come
2: from? I mean, especially as a kid is just, you know, obviously I know I'm adopted where you know who are my parents, and just even right. if it's that superficial aspect of like who's my actual mom and dad, which is so stupid now because obviously our actual parents are adoptive parents, but right. um you know like at the time of thinking of that, so I kind of grew up as a kid you know wondering that, but I was super lucky that when I when I was. 13 my parents surprised my sister and i with a trip through our adoption agency um children's home uh, okay. which is the other one from lutheran
1: um, All right. All right. and uh
2: we did this two-week trip to south korea my grandma came along which was super cool and uh, we made a whole ordeal of it um i remember our house was under renovation so it was nice to like get out of there and my parents actually ordered a limo to pick us up from our house to go to the That's airport cool. like it, just this whole ordeal right cuz uh, it's like a big deal
1: a yeah it's a huge thing yeah. yeah so
2: and um beforehand too um my parents put in a request to find our birth families mm-hmm. and We were able to find both, which is amazing. Not necessarily for me because I was a bit younger, but my sister, because, you know, as you get older, it's harder to kind of sometimes find that stuff. So it's amazing that they were able to not saying she's like old, but, you know, like just, you know, for the record, you Uh, know, records and everything. Um, So that was like another thing, like, oh, we're going to meet our birth family. So Mm -hmm. get to Korea and I meet my birth family. So I meet my Mom. Okay, well
1: let's let's pause all oh. though because this that, no I love this. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll go into the story. But what I wanted to let people know is this is like now that we're because I'll share my story too. Um, but now that we're removed, it doesn't seem as emotional. Um, right? Yeah. But I think when you're live in the moment, people need to understand like for you said you were 13? 13 years old. So for 13 years, you were being asked, hey, where are you from? hey is that your grandma and grandpa and like who's your mom who's your dad so every not every day but i mean it seems sometimes like every day you're being asked about this piece of life that's yours that you have no idea how to answer it because you just don't know. You have no records. You have no trail, nothing. We are, we predate quick internet. So like we didn't have Facebook just to jump on they like, Hey, I'm looking for Cause that there's been a lot of cool, amazing stories of people using social media. We didn't have that. Absolutely. So, okay. So yeah. continue. But I just wanted to point that out. Like, I love it. This is a really big thing for every adoptee because every day you're playing this game in your head. And then all of a sudden like, okay, it's, two hours sleep you meet your mom. It's one hour. It's half an hour. It's 15 minutes. Oh, oh they're late. What's going on? You know, so continue that. What was, so you get to Korea. You're, you're there with your family. You're about to meet. What's, what's racing through your head? What's that moment like?
2: So we're in our hotel room. And, um, so my, father passed away and then I'll like explain some like conspiracy theories too so I'm not a conspiracy theorist but like definitely when it comes to my adoption I have conspiracy theories I I dabble I dabble (laughs) just
0: enough I mean you know it's totally
2: feasible yeah um so anyways just through meeting my family um met them at my parents hotel room and honestly like I was 13 in some ways I kind of wish I was a little bit older because Mm. even though you are a teenager and you're Mm -hmm. a functioning human, I don't think that I fully grasped like the extent of how important it was. I guess I knew it was important, but I guess I kind of just like played it off a little bit. So I was like nervous and excited, but I wasn't like thinking too much of it. Mm. Um, So I remember when they arrived, um, honestly, just, it was like, weird like it was just such a surreal moment right like you're you're like where am i am i in a different universe and um i remember they brought some like a huge uh bin pretty much of like korean desserts and stuff like you know all the cute little
1: biological family
2: biological family yes and um yeah they walked in and um just put it on like the the counter in the um in the hotel and then they walked over and so i have um my birth mother and then Mm. i i have six sisters and one brother so huge family right and what did your
1: file say? Did your file ever tell you you had siblings or anything?
2: Yes, so okay, this is okay. this is what what my file said. So the the interesting part, um, which you know as I live more life, I'm like, oh, it's you know there are some families like this. So the mm. interesting part is that I am like undoubtedly so much younger than all of them. So my brother would have been the baby in the family and he was 11 and a half years older than me. And he was the baby in okay. the family,
1: so yeah, so he was um, about like 24 ish at the time.
2: Yeah, so R- and then uh, okay. and then yeah. the rest of them, the rest six of them, were much older than him. So oh, okay. it was, um, on top of just you know having a lot of siblings, just such mm. a weird age gap. Like I was just yeah. like way over here. Um, which I'll bring up my conspiracy theories too in a bit. Um, but um, meeting them, I remember my birth mother like was holding my hands. You know, all my sisters, like, hugged me. But it was just so like... Your, so
1: your whole family came. So it was not just... Minus
2: my brother. He was in college at the time. So he couldn't make it. And Holy for shit. Some, that's
1: crazy. Right. And for uh, some reason,
2: they said they didn't want to tell him because mm. they didn't want to throw half his studies. But then it makes me think, too, I don't know if they ever told him that he had a baby sister. I mean, it's kind of the thing is think you're, you know... Think about when you're back in college, you know, yeah, he was actually a yeah. track and field star. So he was going to school for a javelin and, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you have yeah. a baby sister, yeah. a long lost sister
1: who lives and, in America. Yeah. Who's here now? Yeah. Who's, yeah. Gonna, no big I'm, deal. I'm deal. Yeah. Gonna, don't I'm don't, don't worry about it. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. So you, that's insane. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't put it two and two together that your sisters were there too.
0: Yeah. But yeah. All of them. That's um, crazy.
1: Actually
2: in the hotel room only mm Five of them could come and then okay. the other two. So then my, um, sisters, uh, we had a translator cause obviously I don't speak yeah. Korean and right, they speak English right. and they were so intent, um, in having me come with them to, um, to just like walk around and open market with them like later, like, okay. you know, a couple yeah, hours yeah. from now. Yeah. And the funniest thing is I remember my adoptive mother, my mother. Right. But just to clarify the difference.
0: Yeah.
2: um, I remember she like my mom starts crying. Right. So my adoptive mother and like so they leave. This is after they leave Mm. or not. No, no, I don't. Whatever. You know, uh, but I remember she started crying and I was like, I was like, why are you crying? And. She was just like, and I was not expecting this because, you know, my parents are very confident and, you know, very, like, stable people. But she was crying and she's like, I don't want you to go with them. And I'm like, why? She's like, I'm worried that they want to take you back. And I was thinking, what? Like, it was the Mm. weirdest thing because I was like, that's so weird. Like, my parents are so stable, so sure. Like, why would that? So she was, like, crying and she's like, I just I don't want to lose you. And I, like, looked at her and I'm like, mom, you're my mom. Yeah. I am American. I don't speak Korean. I They're strangers. Like, I'm not going to. Go. So I had to, like, convince her. But mm. it was just such a surreal moment in that aspect and kind of showed me, too, like, how complex adoption truly is. And especially yeah. at a young age, at 13, that even it can get a grown stable person yeah. to kind of break down. And, yeah. you know, my mom was just so... And my dad's like, it's going to be fine. It's gonna be. My mom's like, I don't know. Like, they're going to take her. I'm like, they're not going to take me because I'm going to yeah. come. And I remember, like, actually joking be like, Mom, they're not going to take me because I'm not going to let them. Like, yeah, I will right, find my right. way back here. Like, this right. is my home. I'm coming home right. with you. Right. And, um, but it was just... So interesting and so interesting to go, there's, you know, when you're a teenager, like young teenager too. So I end up going and I bring a translator, which I'm happy because I'm like, I'm glad that I decided to bring a translator because we wouldn't have been able to connect. And I, so I meet up with them and, um, all my other sisters and it was surreal. The first thing they did was they took me to a Nike shoe store. Bought me a pair of shoes, bought me some socks. Yeah. Then they, what did they do? They took me to a clothes store. They bought me a few outfits, and I'm like, "What's going on?" They're like, "Well, we were never able to do that for you growing up. We want to do it now." So I was that's like, "Oh, that's crazy. That's really like cute and sweet." And um, it was just so interesting. Like,
1: do you have any of the items still? Like, do you uh, yeah, have the sneakers I still or have. That's yeah, crazy. I still have
2: all of them, and yeah, I we took I'm a
1: picture that those are things that will. Oh, have I forever. yeah, they're just yeah. mementos
2: at this point, yeah. and um, we took a picture in the photo booth too. Um, so I have those still too. But the That's main awesome. thing is, I remember going into um, went to a Starbucks um at the end of the night, and actually no, let me back up. So the sister that came a little bit later. So. Going back to kind of like how I look ethnically ambiguous, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing that is interesting is looking at my birth family. None of them really look like me until one of my uh, older sister—I mean, they're all older—came up and she had double eyelids. So at first I was like, "Oh my gosh," because mine are natural, right? Like that's just how I was born. And I look at her and I'm like, "Okay, like this is my family. Like this makes sense Uh... and everything." Then I found out she had double eyelid surgery. A year before. Yeah. So she, that wasn't natural. So then I was like, oh, interesting. So going back to Starbucks, they were all sitting across the table from me, I remember, and I was sitting across from them and they all asked me, they're like, so who do you think that you look most like? And honestly, like, I think that's the hardest part too. Like I said about being ethnically ambiguous and looking different too, is just even on this level with my birth family meeting them, I really didn't look like any of them.
0: too much which is really difficult so I
2: remember just saying very politely because you know I'm a polite midwest girl is (laughs) I feel like I look like a mixture of all of you guys and you're just making everyone like feel good and everything um but you know it was another thing too is looking back so I kind of want to get into like my not really conspiracy theories but just uh, you know like ideas so one thing that it never really, like, made too much sense, it didn't dawn on me. So when I left, you know, the open mall with them and hanging out yeah. with them, you know, my mother and all my other other sisters went away. Um, they left. But then one of my older sisters didn't leave. And mm. she was crying. And at first thing, I was thinking, oh, just, like, super sweet. Like, at the time, right? Like, just super yeah. sweet. She – and I remember she's just holding me and she's just – hysterical and she takes out her wallet and she takes out all of her money in it and puts it in my hand and closes it and then like hugs me just like if you can hug someone like
1: yeah. <laughs> you know with,
2: so and then she was just bawling I could feel like and then as I walked away she was just bawling and crying years later and thinking about it just with like how I look and everything is a part of me is wondering is because there is such a huge age gap with my family and my mom and I actually did open up some of the information that we had a couple of years ago, which is interesting, yeah. is that when my father would have died, it kind of lines up doesn't really line up with you know you, you have to be pregnant for nine right. months right
1: yeah 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 yeah
2: from when he died and when she was pregnant with me some of it doesn't really like line up
1: too much like time wise yeah and she
2: was also like an older woman too she would have been like in her 40s right or mm-hmm. 50 I, I don't even know she would have been like much older right because i had sisters mm-hmm. who were like in their 30s or 40s already so my honest thought and um My fiance's mom actually kind of thought this, too, because, you know, she's she's white, but, you know, similar aspects of, you know, farm town, because, you know, my, you know, my birth family is, you know, from farm town and everything is like a thought is that my sister had me with some with a foreigner. So Mm. whether he was a white man, whether it was, you know, someone who was something um, had an affair or, you know, they would have been old enough, right? You know, just mm. had a little too much fun, you know, yeah, a little bit yeah. too much tequila. I'm just kidding. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like had yeah. a little bit too much fun, got, you know, knocked up.
0: Yeah. And
2: as we know, in Korea, it's a huge taboo to have a baby or be pregnant and not married. Yep. That's a huge taboo yeah, cultural. I mean, in most they, cultures. Yeah. So I'm wondering if my birth because she was she would still be young you know in her you know teens 20s maybe use that as a cover-up because Mm. when I have talked to them you know sending them letters you know they're translated it's really funny that I ask for pictures of my brother right whenever I ask about my dad I've asked three times now in a letter three times I asked about my brother get pictures and pages talking about him and it's fine when I ask about my dad nothing It's like I didn't even ask. So I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, there's just, like, this huge, like, disconnect. And it was super weird, too, because, you know, I don't speak Korean. I remember that when we were walking around the market, they would always be pointing at, like, the British flag, and at first, I thought like maybe they were like thinking like, oh, I'm British, so I'd be like, no, I'm not British, I'm American. But right. I'm wondering like maybe they're trying to tell me something or trying to, you oh, know, because yeah. like the translator wasn't always around, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's just like you know a full mystery and it's just interesting.
1: Right. So well, what people need to understand too who that are listening that like, like you're kind of saying like it's your conspiracy theory. Like to an extent, every adoptee, and I don't know how a lot of other cultures are, but I I feel like I can speak pretty confidently in the Korean culture. It's like you have to because in Korea, people think it's so technically, logically advanced, which it is, but it's so old school when it comes to culture that things in the past don't get talked about. So even if that was true and they have all the information to add to have you add up, they're never going to tell you because that's just how things are done in korea and and so th- what people need to understand is like when you go and meet your birth family for the first time or second time or third time you get some questions answered you get the basic hey what's the story what happened and they, that may not even be the full truth like what you're saying but then you leave after time and reflection and deep like degressing, just all that energy that you have when you do that you start to have 600 more questions and then you have, then you may get 599 of those answered. And then all of a sudden you have 601 questions. Right. That, you and know it's what just I mean? so like, it's yeah. tough too when
2: things just don't really line up to, yeah. you know, with See, what that's you're being so, told yeah, and then with how yeah. you look
1: too. like, obviously, you know, that would make yeah. a lot of sense. Like yeah. I like hearing yeah. that from this standpoint and just, again, knowing you when we were younger and just mm-hmm. how, how you're, how you look, how maybe, quote unquote average or more creative I just most credible. Like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Chosun, like it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Cause my story is crazy. So you do you still have like an open communication with your biological family? Or yes. some of them?
2: Yeah, for the most part. I just haven't been in touch with them. But yeah.
1: That's see, that's that is the one thing. So here's my story. So yes, I got yes. into it um super early. I always just knew and for those who are listening, if you can hear my dog, that's just life of podcasting. <laughs> um so I got super interested in you because like I grew up in a small town less than 3000 people at the time and so it was like really obvious that like I'm Korean and adopted and everything so I found out just interested about the culture really early and I started going to Chosun when I was still in, like, the nursery. So, like, when they bring, like, newborns and babies. like oh, I started, you're
2: a lifer. Dang. No, yeah, yeah. So
1: I started there because what happened is my sister's four years older than me, so she was kind of at that age where it's like, oh, preschool and day camp and stuff, and they mm-hmm. found this. But then I was brought along because it's four-ish hours away from where I grew up, so my parents would just get a hotel and stay there for the week. And so that's where I was, in the nursery. So... I was always just super interested, super interested, super interested. And then it wasn't until um, one of our friends, Becky, and just a couple of people that we know started their process. And I was like, oh, shit, like I should maybe like start looking at my file and start thinking about it more. Um, And somewhat kind of similar to your story, my parents kind of just surprised me with this. um, It's called Korean Ties, and it's a program for adoptees that it's kind of like an all-expense program trip you pay all this money they kind of set up your plans and your dates and part and part of that is finding your adopted family if you want to and so we go through that process blah blah blah. fast forward I got word that I was only going to meet my foster mother that there was no like they tried to reach out to my birth family and that there wasn't any communication and I was like okay yeah that's fine that's more than because like you said like it's really rare that you get one let alone both so I was just like, all right. Oh, I did meet
2: fine. my foster mother too, which was just okay. such a blessing to have it.
1: Yeah. Um. So then we get to Korea and we have this idea planned. And all of a sudden, like the very first day, um, the program director or program coordinator, I don't really know what her role was, came up and said, actually, if you want, I know it's last minute, we'd have to. you would have to be out of some of the activities. But we found your birth mom. We found your family if you want to meet her. and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's set it up met my foster mother. That's all great and happy. It's, it's not obviously as emotional as your mom. So I'll just skip over it too. No. But so my, my mom, so this is where my conspiracy theories and, yes. and stories conspiracy. start. So a, I, my file said that my parents were both relatively young, that they weren't super educated. I think my mom had graduated from elementary school. My dad did middle school and that was it. They kind of met through school. They had me, they didn't, want like the lifestyle that I was leading to. So they put me up for adoption. That's kind of what my story and my file alluded to. Lo and behold, I have two older brothers, two older sisters. My parents are still together. Um still they're all in the same household living and still all a family. Um same thing with you though. My youngest sister or and my younger brother? I think it would have been my the next sibling closest to me, my brother was probably almost 20 years older than me or so so it's kind of similar to that factor um but what happened was is my birth father kind of washed his hands of it when they put me up for adoption he doesn't want the family to communicate I don't think they told any of my siblings that they were pregnant with me because she my mom so the my conspiracy is that my dad kind of had it with the situation Mm -hmm. he didn't want to deal with it because I feel that none of my siblings knew who I was or that, and my mom told me that, that they hadn't told me, told some of my siblings. Um, And then what happened was my grandmother on my father's side, I want to say, got sick around the same time I was going to be born. And so for people that don't know, in Korea, it's very old school where they don't have a whole lot of nursing homes. What happens is traditionally your you will take in your parents and they will live with you and they will um, uh, stay with you. And so there's no nursing home. And so that kind of equated to why I got pushed towards adoption. The reason why I feel like my birth father kind of washed his hands of it is when we reached out to them. apparently the reason why they couldn't get a hold of me right away or find my birth family right away is because they were contacting my father as soon as they contacted my mother she said she was interested in meeting with me but it would have to be kind of sneaky because my did, my birth father didn't want her meeting me and so she was kind of sick at the time and she said there was a hospital near the adoption agency where we met. And so she said she was just going for a routine doctor's appointment, which she had been doing because she had been a little under the weather. So she came by herself, by taxi and train, um, like all kind of like in secret <laughs> to come meet me. And so we're I'm sitting in this room with a translator as well. Um, and I think like she was, I think they were like the program liaison who works for the program that I was on in the adoption agency. And all of a sudden, like we were in this back room window or the door was kind of slid shut, but I just felt this weird energy shift outside the room. And because I think it was maybe a long time until they had someone else meet their biological family. So there's energy shifts. It's a big moment. Right. And so I felt that I was like, Oh, I think she's here. Like I didn't, I told my mom, I was like, this, I think she's soon. And all of a sudden the door opens up and she walks in and sits down next to me. And it was just, it was like you said, it was really crazy. I think maybe because I was, it was only two years older than when I met, I was only 15, but I feel that same way. I wish I was 22 when I would have met her because I would have asked, I think maybe these more pressing questions. Mm -hmm. But so we sat down and, we showed her pictures of me growing up and um, my prom. Ironically, I was, I was dating Becky at the time. So I had a Korean girlfriend as well, which she was like really amazed by at the time. Um, But what was interesting is like, we started telling her and she just started crying. And I was like, oh, did I like offend her? Did I, did we say something that's like really wrong? And she just, it stopped. And she looked at the translator, said something in Korea. And the translator started crying. And I was like, ah, fuck, what happened? Like, what did I mess up? And she looks at me, she goes, she's just, she is amazed about how much opportunity you had, and that you wouldn't have done any of that here in Korea. And then I was just like, ah, shit. Exactly.
0: (laughs) You know, Uh, and
1: unlike you, like my, my, like, my mom looks so much like me, that it was like the first time in my entire life up until that point. And since then, because I haven't met her since, was like, oh, shit, like, that's where i got my nose that's so like,
2: that's cool that's where i got it.
1: yeah um, and what was crazy is so we brought a we brought photos and a necklace and because they said because in korea in their tradition is like you exchange presents sometimes on occasions yep. like this and so too. we gave her we this is also why i feel my family had no idea so we were going to offer her originally the necklace and a photo album she said, "I can't take the photo album. Mm. Um, it's too much evidence. Like I can't like through translation again, so it's hard. But what came out was like I can't have that stuff around the house. But what I can have is that necklace mm. on my neck and put it, you know, not let people see it. The craziest thing is she had a necklace on. It was a speed skate. Apparently, um, my brother was a speed skater. Like he, that was his competitive thing. And she took the necklace off, put it on me, and then I gave her my." The necklace I was originally gonna give her. So I still have to this day a necklace that's hers. Oh, um with me. It gives
2: me chills. It's so yeah, cool. no, it's
1: crazy. Um, and then she showed me a picture on her cell phone, but it was like at the time, like it was fuck almost 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, it's over 15 almost 15 years. So the phone was like super shitty and the picture sucked. But she showed me a picture of my birth father or birth brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's my so like it's very so, the reason why I want to talk about this is you can see how confusing it can get super quickly. And we're not even talking about the difficulty of a language translation. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we're like people are thinking that we're all speaking English. No, no. This was no. I said something super emotional. Like my translator started to cry because of the questions I was asking. And I and think so, even cultural mannerisms uh, are so mm, different
2: too. So on yeah. top of that, John, of just the cultural barrier and mm. just you know the differences. It's just yeah, or the um uh the the language barrier is the cultural yeah. barrier because it's just yeah. exactly
1: yeah. Oh my yeah. It's it was it was a whirlwind, but uh. So unfortunately um we because i asked her because i had known some of my some of our mutual friends had set up you know a communication way to stay in contact and so i asked that and unfortunately and this is why my conspiracy theory involves a lot of like anger towards my birth dad is um (laughs) that she's like i can't like i i would love to and i want to know but i i can't for the sake of my family which is your family, but you know what I mean. That is Um, interesting. Like, my
2: sister had something very similar where Mm. she had her really young, like maybe like 14, 15. So she had the same thing where with the photo album, she had to keep that at the agency and she didn't even want to keep the necklace too because she was so worried. For me, like, you know, everything is, you know, we all have our, you know, strifes and all of our, you know, hindrances in our own ways. Mm. But I was so grateful that, You know, obviously there's, you know, my conspiracy theories alone, but my birth family was able to bring it home. And another thing I found out too, John, which is pretty cool, is that apparently on February 18th, which is my birthday, each year, they, ever since I was born, they toast to Shinsun Mi, which is, you know, me. Oh, that's crazy. Which is really cool. So they, like, wherever you are, which was, like, kind of so exactly what you're bringing up of just there's so much secrecy there's so yeah. much unknowns and like i said is like even though you know they were able to bring it home i don't even you know like my sister is probably my you know what i mean there's so yeah. many other just disconjoined aspects yeah. to everything and it just makes it that much more if we're not already confused <laughs> as yeah, is, no, it just yeah. adds even a next level of confusion and
1: yeah. Uh, discord yeah no yeah and it wasn't so like I think I had a conversation. I'm not going to say her name on this because right. I don't know if this is her – if the exact story is correct. But the reason why I started getting a little bit more grateful with my situation that I just had it is that one of our friends started her path and ended up – the reason why she was adopted is her parents were both killed while in a car accident while they were running errands or something. And so like I couldn't imagine – going and again i don't know if verbatim that's what the story right. I, i'll put that on wax I, i'm not 100 accurate but i damn sure that's what she said and um so yeah so it wasn't until then or something of that situation of like okay like i may not have what you may have of what you just told me or even like my sister had just met her uh, biological mom, I think three years ago, four years ago, and they have a texting communication. They she wow. can't, she has, I don't know if she has told her new family because she had moved on, she had her her birth mother found a new family, yada, yada yada yada. So she has half siblings, um, but she at least has that communication. And I was super jealous when she told me because for the longest time, like I was the one obsessed with Korean culture, trying to look into it more, and she was like kind of running away from it, and then this happened, but it was just, the reason why I bring it up is like every situation that we know from all of our adoptee friends is so different.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's the that's the thing about adoption I wanted to talk about is like people think it's just like, oh, you fill out a questionnaire, you made do a background check and then you're on a, it's like, but there's so much identity that cannot be explained until you go through it because I have, I have friends looking into adoption now. And so I have a lot of people asking me. Yeah. And so I tell them like, it's great. It's amazing. Like I, I would have nothing if I wasn't adopted. I wouldn't have anything I know familiar to my world now, but the weight that I carry along with that is also something parents need to be aware of when they go adopt is like, you can't just put you can't put us in the same sweater in a family picture and think that that's how you do it. And even, right? John,
2: you know, like, you know, maybe move yeah. to Los Angeles, maybe move somewhere mm. that's diverse so yeah. that your child won't. I actually joked around with my dad a couple of years ago, you know, where I'm an adult, you know, I'm an adult yeah, now, we're all adults. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, I love you, Dad. You know, I love you, mom. I love growing up here and everything. I'm like, seriously, could you, like, like it's monomedi right and he's like yeah. you know and he's just such a jokester but he's just like you know when we're going through the adoption process you know like we just want to make sure that we lived in the whitest part of america to raise you as a korean adoptee but so that would probably no, I did, be another i
1: did the same shit i was like yo how <laughs> like, did you guys exactly. stop here and say you know what would be really fun having two kids of color in, this in the, entire, whitest l- of the, the whitest part of the nation exactly yeah. but And and it was, and the thing that came from my parents' conversation about that is like, one, it was totally different. It was the '90s, so it was really, you know, it was the '80s and '90s, so it was a little different as far as like what people thought of that. But I, I don't like I've talked to people that are in really diverse high schools and stuff, and I don't know if I would be as passionate about like social justice and stuff if I was raised in that environment because it's so. What I'm finding through my podcast episodes is this people that stayed in their communities, let it be by segregation or by choice, they didn't really experience that isolation. Like I have a friend who is raised born and raised in Milwaukee in a very black community, all black community. Um, the reason why the black community is there, you can argue on reasoning of segregation, or whatever. We won't get into that, but mostly all black friends, all black teachers, like so they didn't feel necessarily that isolation mm-hmm. that like maybe you and I felt like, okay, so not only do I have to figure out this whole Korean thing that's on this side and very confusing, I have to navigate through like I'm white. Absolutely. Which leads us into like maybe this bigger conversation of what's so, – so now that we know a little bit about you and your viewpoints and stuff, let's get into like more current events. What was – as someone part of the Asian community, obviously, what happened when you heard about Atlanta? Um, what was that like? For me, it was maybe the the kick in the ass I personally needed to understand – I need to connect more with my Asian American history than I do because I don't, I don't know shit about it. And I'm reading and watching documentaries that I'm learning so much American, Asian American history that I didn't know before that when that happened, it was like, okay. I need to, I need to change my game. I can't just be a proponent of um, black American history and black lives matter and stuff like that. I, I stand, Toe to toe with everyone over there, but right. there was, but it showed me like, hey, there may be a pocket of people that you need to connect better with. Yeah. And then on top of that, because what because what we were talking about pre podcast, someone that you and I know and I was with them were down at a protest. We were at a Black Lives Matter protest. We saw everything that happened, and that moved it towards again, like, hey, this time it was an asian person though like mm-hmm. that could have been you that could have yeah. been your sister that could have been your old friends from camp and so it automatically forced me to start thinking of the problem more closer to maybe people that we look like versus yeah. just just a bystander of like understanding that it happens at an extraordinary rate in the black community it made me look like oh shit this has been going on in the asian community far before covid far before trump far before whatever right. And, and stuff. So what? So that yeah. was kind of... That, that was what was happening to me. What was totally. it going through your mind? Because you were in the Midwest when this... Because I, I think I was... We just had gotten back into Wisconsin. Yeah. So I was... So were, you in, were you in Los I Angeles in, or were you back in back in? Minnesota? I believe
2: I was in Minnesota just because of the yeah. pandemic and life yeah. and, you know, being yeah. home and everything. But obviously, you know, location doesn't really matter too much. I actually remember like the, I don't look at the news too much because I like Mm. to be happy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. I was streaming Hulu right now. So I'm watching a bunch of shows on that. And I watched a lot of um, 2020. Um, (laughs) I'm addicted. All the murder stuff and everything. But anyways, um, I remember that there was something about Atlanta and I was hearing about it. And I watched Mm. because it was a new episode. It was like a, you know, like brand new one that they just posted urgently. So I watched it and I was like, oh my goodness. And it gave like such good insight into what was going on. And I bring up the 2020 because there was a Asian basketball player who honestly like conveyed it very similar to how I would. So I found it like, Mm. but he, so he's a NBA Asian. Jeremy Lin? I think.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
2: One of the very few. And I'm
1: a big basketball fan so that's nice, also I know nothing why I know. so, so. It's, it's like my Asian proudness perfect. mixing with my obsession with basketball so yeah. Yay. It was probably him. Yes, I, that
2: sounds very yeah, I think it was him. And they interviewed him about what was going on with everything mm. and he was kind of talking about how you know, for so long how people or how he felt like the best way to uh The best way to support the Asian community was to be quiet. And I'm so similar to that too. Like everything that he was saying, I just alluded to. That's why I'm like sharing his interview is that
0: Mm.
2: not talking, not upsetting people. Because obviously when you bring stuff up, it can make people angry. It can make people violent. Obviously, you know, as we've seen with Black Lives Matter or this or Mm -hmm. that. So a lot of the times, you know, for maybe other races or just people, individuals like myself and him, I guess, in this scenario- you know, he was like, you know, for the longest time, I just felt like being quiet and keeping it under the rug and not talking about it was the best thing you could do. But he's, then he said, I'm realizing that you need to find your voice. You need to speak out. So I'll stop talking through him. And I'll talk more about me now is I feel very similar. Like I just resonated so much with that is that for so long, Mm. I felt like being quiet, not bringing it up, not ruffling feathers was the best thing to do. But I realized that that Is not the best thing to do because it still happens,
0: right? Regardless
2: of what happens, it's still going to happen. And watching you know the the tragedy of what happened in Atlanta and just what has been going on through our nation, too, with you know Asian hate and all this stuff, too, Mm -hmm. is just appalling and it boils my blood. Like, it honestly, you know, like I said, like you know, with Black Lives Matter, with you know, anything, like it boils my blood, but because it is so close to home
1: and, you know,
2: it is, you know, our, (laughs) you know, racial community and everything, it's just like some next level, like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe that people are actually doing this or have feel like they have the initiative to be able to do this. And I remember that they were interviewing some of the victims' families Mm. and I just felt so bad for them because they were just like, honestly, like the most innocent looking people honestly yeah. that really should not have had anything not saying not saying people have it common because that's not the way it is but literally like no one does right but like right. just the most innocent people that really but, right. like just you should could
1: line up a hundred people and exact- say guess like, least, people that exactly least get likely, likely yeah, yeah, yeah. you know to have yep. something
2: happen to them and their yeah. mother or their family
1: yeah.
2: um so i guess for me in that light too Um, you know, going back to the beginning too, of like, you know, we were talking about like, oh, you know, when did you start feeling comfortable talking Mm -hmm. about this? Um, you know, like what I said too, is just around this time is it was like, you know, this needs to be addressed. This cannot happen. And, um, I know that there's like a campaign going around too. Like, um, I'm not a scapegoat,
1: you know, type thing. And that's another
2: thing to bring up is that as Asian Americans, we're always the butt of the joke. And the worst part about it is that we accept that and we have allowed that because of what Mm. I brought up with that basketball player myself of just how intentions are distorted, right? So by letting it slide and whatever, people might think like, oh, we can, but that really shouldn't be that at all. And I'm realizing that he's realizing that I think a lot of people are realizing that you need to speak up. I mean, you don't need to be loud and create a lot of ruckus, right? You know, create chaos, but- speak up where it's healthy and where it has good intention to bring to light a serious, serious issue that really like needs to be covered. And I remember there was another scenario. It was Northern California. It was like a restaurant I was reading about. And there was this, um, man who went up to this Asian family who was just enjoying their food. And he starts saying racial slurs, go back to your country. He's a
1: CEO tech too. Yeah. So, um,
2: the waitress you know who's a white woman is amazing i'm like we need more of her we need to multiply mm. her she like we need more people like her like she's like you know such a, like that's what if anything white people need to do where she went up to him and she yeah. was like you need to get the fuck out of here like she just yeah. straight up she didn't look like someone who swore but she's just like yeah. get the fuck out of my restaurant and yeah. she just like kicked him out and i'm like yeah <laughs> you know thinking like well, reading the no, article yeah. and she was just like there's no place for hate here yeah. and it's it it goes to show you know she's a sweet person but it shows too that like you you can speak up right mm-hmm. she wasn't you know like causing a ruckus she's not deemed as a horrible person but i mean she's deemed as a hero right, right. so it's this other aspect too of being like oh okay i can speak up and if anything it's good to speak up yeah. so that's I guess just overall what what I've learned through through all of this like horrible, you know, stuff that Mm -hmm. has been coming to light in the media and everything.
1: Well, I think like, and this is just my opinion, and I don't know if you will agree, but I think Asian community people, it's really hard to find that voice because of lack of education of Asian American history, right? Like I think you get taught all the European stuff, the Columbus mm-hmm. bullshit, the yes. things, all the, all yeah. that, all that nonsense. And then you do have in some schools, depending on the diversity, a chunk of black history, just again, just very mm-hmm. little, like maybe 30 days of it in February, 28 <laughs> mostly. Um, but we don't sit there and, and you get, so, again, a smaller fraction of Hispanic history, but Asian history is really not taught. And so mm-hmm. we don't get this... We Sometimes I feel Asians don't feel like they have the right mm-hmm. to talk about racism towards Asian people mm-hmm. because for so long, it was black and white, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you had the KKK, 100%. you had the Black Panthers, you had... Still is. Uh, do, Still a right, right, right. black and white, Still, you know, from the,
2: movies... The, right, um, right, absolutely. exactly. to news, yes. absolutely.
1: So it's really hard for us to be like, hey... I don't want to take away from what's going on within the black community and the focus that it needs, because obviously it's horrific. It's disgusting. It's all those type of words, but we sit here and go, but we are being attacked. Absolutely. We had the Chinese Exclusion Act. Absolutely. We had uh, camps for two-thirds of Japanese American citizens in on American soil. We had to put up with this. Yes. We built the railroad systems. So there was these things that we weren't talked about. But now that I'm watching it, it's like – well, fuck, you did the same thing to us. It may not have been <laughs> publicized and maybe not mm-hmm. always to the extent of how black people have it within America and American history, but it's still pretty fucking Well, no, disgusting. it's very similar. You I know, mean, the 2020 similar.
2: brought that up too. Ah. And I was going to touch. I love how you brought that up. And I completely agree with what you're saying is that, you know, black people were brought over for being slaves. Yeah. The Japanese were as well for the railroad.
1: Yeah. And Chinese, yeah. And yeah. the
2: Chinese. So
1: yeah and and the thing that i always and the thing i've been saying a lot lately on the last couple podcasts is like i would understand if we're talking about this foreign entity's history but we're talking about american history we're talking about Mm -hmm. stuff that by our citizenship we should probably know (laughs) because you know what i mean exactly but we're
2: adopted john
0: yeah exactly (laughs) exactly
1: (laughs) um but so so let's go let's go into like representation because what I think it's an interesting conversation to have, especially you being in being an actress and being a part of that cycle. Um, obviously Asian media and Asian celebrities are very low. We have, according to some studies, and this was probably now the article is probably two to four years old. So I don't know if it's changed, but it was less than 2% of all media representation were Asian. Um, do you, Boy, did that ever affect your decision on going into acting? Was that ever something that because, or let, let's start with this, who, did you ever look up to Asian actresses or actors, or was it mostly the Hollywood media that we all get because of just sheer Hollywood, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: I could even start with both of those right there. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, yeah. <laughs> Back into my monologs just kidding. Um f- First, um, for role models, typical of what you would think about for Hollywood. Meryl Streep, Natalie Portman, yeah. Nicole Kidman, people that look nothing like me. Mm. Second, or the the first question that you had, yeah, 150%, if it could be yeah. 150%. Absolutely. That's honestly what has taken me so long to actually pursue acting. Mm. And for me to make the conscious decision is... I remember when I was a kid, I was watching this documentary on Hollywood on TV, and you know they had all these kids come up and everything and meet with Mm -hmm. casting directors, and there was an Asian girl who went up and got interviewed, and the casting director looked at her in the eyes, this child on top of it, like she was like eight or something, and I was around that age too then, so it probably hit close to home. She looks at her directly in the eye, and she's like, um... Yeah, so Hollywood's kind of white bread. So I don't think you'd fit in here. And hmm. being young and seeing that and seeing that happen to another young Asian American girl on TV, really struck a chord where I was like, Oh, my gosh, there's no place for me in Hollywood whatsoever. Right.
1: And like, what other examples do you have of people that made it? Like Lucy Liu. <laughs> yeah, but I was just honestly, gonna say Lucy Liu. Like, that's about that's it.
2: That's it. And, you know, it's there's so many different types mm. of actors out there and everything too. And there just was, was nothing, especially, you know, in the, the nineties, two thousands. Right. Just yeah. absolutely. You
1: especially know. for a like for a female Asian, right. Like for male Asians, we've always had the defaults of Bruce Lee, Jet Lee, Jackie Chan. Like we've had the but cliches. Yeah. Yeah. The very, the, very cliches, yeah. but like the people that like at least like, because I always I, – I am starting to shift my opinion on that, right? Like I, at the time, I thought that was cliche of me to like a Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee, a Jeremy Lin when he got popular. But it's just the exact same way like Jay-Z isn't a cliche to black America. Black yeah. America loves Jay-Z because he was one of the very few that have made it. Yeah. And so I'm starting to look at it like that, but like back to the point, like, so we're yeah. um, like males can at least lean on that. Yeah. Like you, you don't have shit to lean on as a female. Exactly. Like in my,
2: in my opinion. Yeah. So through that, I've always loved singing. I started mm. writing songs when I was 10. I actually mm. started singing when I could start talking. And what's funny uh, is that I would sing myself to sleep. I would hey. sing twinkle, twinkle, little star. So my mom <laughs> would, funny. exactly. My mom would know I was asleep. Sometimes I'd be singing mid-sentence and then I would just be. So I have loved singing, performing, acting, and all that. But it was just always a lot of it truly was the race aspect of not really seeing anyone. But
0: Mm.
2: what's nice that I see now, and I think just in general, too, just realizing. So it's not like I never did anything with it. Like, obviously, I did modeling when I was a teenager. I did some pageant, you know queen stuff, you know, pageantry stuff, you know, when I was younger too, but I never really like took the full plunge into Hollywood because of just seeing like, I'd be going into an empty abyss. It would sometimes feel, but what's really cool about now. And I'm so grateful to honestly, I'm actually happy that I'm entering Hollywood now than 20 Mm -hmm. years ago, or even 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. is that there is definitely a shift. So, um, I got, I remember that, so I got a call back, like, two years ago now, um, pre-COVID, for a Sears regular role. And the Mm -hmm. coolest part about it was that it was for an Asian-American girl. Um, My acting coach, she's actually Filipino-American. So she's Asian-American, which is really cool to have that connection. Yeah, for sure. And um, I brought that up and she's like, oh my gosh, Elizabeth. She's like, that's not a thing. You know, like 20 years ago, Asian-Americans were only the best friends or the quirky person. You know what I mean? Like they were never the lead character. So you're seeing the shift now of a lot more Asian representation, a lot more leads, a lot more opportunities. So I'm definitely (laughs) trying to capitalize on as much as I can. And it's just really great to see the shift. So I'm so happy, so grateful that the world brought me to LA and to pursue Halloween out because I honestly would not want to be doing anything else in my life. Cause this is mm. like my bread and butter, you know, Yeah, and on sure. top of it, having the universe kind of move in a direction where, I mean, it's still, that's the thing too, is, you know, I'm making it sound like it's just like, so groundbreaking. It's still very difficult because, right, um, right. regardless, you know, you're kind of, um, for the most part, a lot of people are just typecasted, right? Yep. The issue for me, going back to what we're talking about, is I'm ethnically ambiguous. So I could be, um, you know, I went in for a callback for a Latina girl. Um
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, a couple couple weeks ago, and then for a Japanese woman, and then for, you know, like, you know, it doesn't matter the right, you know, so it it's just um it, for me, like It's hard because you can either be typecasted, which is difficult because then you're typecasted, or for me, it's like I'm trying to find my jive with – I can be so many different things, but because I'm so many different things, it can be in a turnoff. So that's why, Mm, like, I got my bangs and, like, I try to, like, pose more East Asian, even though, obviously, you know, I still get Filipina and,
1: like, yeah,
2: all, you know, like, ethnically ambiguous and everything. So, So, yeah, I mean, I'm just – I'm happy that the world is moving the way it is. I love acting and, you know, I'm grateful for all the opportunities I've had so far and I'm going to have and everything. And, um, but definitely in the nineties and early two thousands, there was just really no, Yeah, it, it just really didn't feel like there was any opportunity. And, you know, sometimes I do think I'm like, Oh, why didn't I pursue this when I was younger or when I was a teenager? Mm. Well, because it just didn't, there really wasn't any opportunity at all because right. it just really wasn't there.
1: Well, and the nice thing too is like, like you said, it it may sound to an outsider, these groundbreaking things, but you to someone in the industry can still see probably where the majority of the industry lays. But for me, like it's, it's amazing because I'm, like I said, I've been trying to dive deeper into Asian American history. And one of the documentary series I'm watching on PBS, which it's free so everyone should go to pbs.com and search for it because you should all watch it but this is the same industry we're talking about that awarded two white people oscar awards uh, academy awards for being asian chinese people in china, in a film that's supposed to take place in china these two are the are white the entire other cast is asian or china, i'm assuming mostly chinese probably just spread around all of Asia at the time because it was... I need to figure out the film. I'd said it, but I forgot it. But a lot of people know about it because of the controversy that came with it. And that's not that long ago. We're talking about Absolutely. 30, 40, 50 years. So, like, that that's the reality. And what people don't realize, too, is along with the actress putting on blackface and enlarging their lips and curling their hair and stuff like that. Along in that same history, we had people pasting their eyes back, taping their eyes back, cut the, their hair, bigger, smaller, li- like Talking everything. with
2: Asian accent, it, even exactly. though, we, what, you know, it's just, plus yeah. Asian people don't sound like that, but anyways. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's like you, there's this weird shift of where like you see the potential because like I was talking to my friend Champ, who's in Los Angeles as well, and he's part of the film industry. Um, we applauded the growth of like he, he was super proud of what happened with Black Panther. He saw his own community, the black community, come out in troves to support this film of a breakthrough. And I I at the time got to relay that to Parasite when we when Parasite won Best Picture. It's like that I was telling him, like, that's the same damn thing that we're feeling because. You had a subtitle movie at that break that barrier of not just cultural breakthroughs, but language barriers with with uh, subtitles, and it still show the art that it can be an amazing film just because it's not maybe mm-hmm. not in English and it can I mean, star yeah you know
2: another thing too John I'd like to bring up is that. You know, I you know, Parasite's a great movie. It's scary. I would never see it because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not love really. It. I'm scared for. It. Yeah, I'm sure it's. I'd just. I'd freak out. Probably be under like my chair and peeing myself. <laughs> but anyways, um. But one thing I would like to bring up too, especially being in the industry and being an adoptee, being mm-hmm. an Asian American, is that one thing that I've learned is that you know I love you know I know K-pop has been trending over the years. Yeah. You know, just mainstream everything. And I love it all and it's great. But one thing that I also want to bring to light that I think is important and, you know, I'm trying to do with my own work and as an actor is to bring to light something that has not been brought to light at all as Asian-Americans,
1: you know, nah. what about what about those
2: Korean adoptees like myself? What about the second generation, third generation that mm. don't know Korean? They don't know Japanese. They don't know Chinese because you want to know what? They are born in St. John's Hospital in yeah. Los Angeles, California, yeah. because they're Americans. Yeah. There isn't really that voice. It's like whenever we look at Asia in the film industry, it's always just Korea or it's China mm. or it's like authentically there. But in America, we need to focus on are Asian Americans like myself. And that's why, you know, I started my YouTube channel um, and, you know, my monologue show and everything is just to kind of like, I want to bring, you know, my voice out. And I'm sure there's a lot of other, you know, who are just, you know, second, third generation adoptees or people who just personify more as being American. And I know that there's this dichotomy and probably this um, rift where, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, like... If we have an Asian person speak, you know, just like how we're speaking right now, you know, or just wearing normal clothes, you know, that's that's racist. Then we're whiteifying them. It's like not really, because if you look at Los Angeles right now, walk down the street, how many Asian people are wearing normal clothes talking well, think, normal, yeah. and like, you know, going to get boba, going to get coffee? Th- so it's yeah. just such a different change now. And I definitely want to see that because. What's difficult for me as an actor? Sorry to go, by my actor. No, role,
1: no, no, no. Go is ahead. Is that ahead.
2: the issue that I find with auditions is so often so many of the Asian roles you have to speak Mandarin, you have to speak Korean. Mm. I don't speak any of that, and on top of it, it just seems very like Asian, which I'm not, which is upsetting. You know, but then you know, that goes no, into the whole adoption no, thing. But no, no, it's get, also yeah. like I want to just be me. Like yeah. it's not whiteifying anything. Do you know how many like there's like fourth generation, like you know. Asian-Americans now because, you know, the world moves forward and everything. So it's like there's, you know, parents and grandparents now of Asian-Americans who are just they don't even know, you know, they're just uh, they're just so Americanized, you know what I mean? So it's for me, that's the frustrating aspect is I'm grateful for the overall aspect of Asians making that um, that victory. But it's not quite there for me where it's like. Being an actor, knowing who I am, knowing what I want to represent, and getting that out there more too, because I think that that voice really needs to be heard and that hasn't really been heard yet in Hollywood.
1: So. Well, you know, you make a really good point because all of the success, and this is why I find um, Black history and American history so, or Black history and Asian history so interesting, is because. The thing that Asians kind of can relate to maybe on a deeper level is the fact that the people that, like you said, are successful have to be foreign still, like Jackie Chan. It couldn't be Jonathan Schaub from – America, it has to be Jackie Chan from Hong Kong. It has to be Daniel Day Kim who speaks fluent Korean. Parasites Korean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Crazy rich Asians have super thick accents. Mm-hmm. Um, I re- I still refuse to go see that movie. Um, I but it was okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard. Some of my Asian friends are like, "All right, you might want to like cool it on the." Crazy I just rich feel like Asian it one.
2: personifies Asian in a very hoity-toity like yeah. superficial but see, manner. But that, but,
1: but, but, yeah. but I think you're. But I think that's even what we're talking about, right? Like those we all there's always that foreign element yes we're always casted into this way of foreigner versus understanding and this is a bigger conversation into adoption and just the racing in general is that what people of color who are adopted into white communities and families have a hard time relating is is finding that voice it's like yeah i understand that i'm asian but i grew up in lodi wisconsin (laughs) exactly from age five months to 29, <laughs> I have been in the United States. Exactly. I have been to Korea once. It was for two weeks. Um, and But we but you get you get labeled and pigeonholed and not even just into acting, into I think everything <laughs> I'm just like because because you're Asian, oh, how do you feel about certain Asian things that you have no idea? Again, like Atlanta is different, right? Because it happened in fucking Atlanta, Georgia. But when people are asking me about like, well, what do you think Kim Jong-un's doing? It's like, do you, when's the last time you read about Korean politics? That's the last time I read about Korean politics. I don't fucking know. Or exactly. what do you what do you think about when China does this? I don't know. I'm not Chinese. One, I'm not Chinese. I'm but two, I'm yeah. not from China. And three, I am American. And so we get this like, and that's where the for people that don't know what the my 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 model minority myth is it's a, it's a myth that types, types cast agents into this weird identity of you can have certain successes some similar to white people but you will continuously be scapegoated for things as a race because of the institutions that they put in place but i think it's 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 interesting because again like so many people don't understand that's a part of the territory that comes with adopting right mm-hmm. is that that person is being pulled in so like unless unless it's maybe a, a the same color adoption like if you're black and you get adopted by black parents if you're Asian you get adopted to, with Asian parents yes. when you are separated from your race or your culture and but you're supposed to know everything about your culture right. it's very it's demoralizing in ways because you don't feel okay well I can't be too American because if I go to Korea they're gonna not dislike me or maybe my Korean friends will see it as some weird thing but if right. I don't conform white America doesn't they just will see me as this Chinese person or even I'm just as even. an
2: actor like yeah. getting getting the roles of like you need to be Korean or this yeah like it's it's upsetting because I don't know how to be Korean I mean that sounds horrible but it's like I
1: but it's reality you're not because you're not Korean exactly so it's upsetting you're Korean but by by culture you are American
2: so then it's just upsetting right and then it goes into what you're talking about too because it could even be like well I'm adopted I was adopted by white people I couldn't help that and you know then it gets into a bunch of stuff or even just as simple as I don't really know you know I don't don't know anything about it. Because it's all cultural, right? Like it's just there's so many cultural, like even meeting like my birth, you know, our birth families and everything, talking about the cultural differences Mm, goes mm. right directly into that too, where it's like there's just so many different cultural differences with every single race. And to an extent, sometimes I feel like I'm being racist. As weird as, even though I'm Korean, sometimes I feel like I'm being racist because it is kind of racist because we are raised white, right? Mm-hmm. So what we would perceive as something. So mm. I'm not trying to be racist. So it just adds all these, we're like onions, man.
1: So. Yeah, no, for damn sure. <laughs> Do you have any friends that um, are maybe first or second generation Asian Americans yes. that were raised in an, an Asian household? Yes. A lot. The traditional. yeah, yes, a lot. Uh, did you ever have this weird, like, oh, like. I can kind of fit in, but I can't really relate. Yes. Because, so I
2: have a story. Yeah, go ahead. Go I, ahead have, go I have ahead. a quick story. Sorry. So Yeah, um, no, go ahead. Uh, I have uh, one of my master's degrees is from the University of Minnesota, and I have a lot of really good Korean-American go, friends. Go
1: gophers. I'll have to let but you know have... I'm from the badger, badger oh. world, though. So, oh, we're going to you know. have to
2: fight later. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, so we were um, at this tea house, and you know we we're all hanging out in our mm. cohort and everything. Mm-hmm. And she's Korean, but she was born... Was she born in California? I think she was like born out here. Her parents are Korean though. So, but she's American. And um, so she, we were talking about this Korean dessert. I I don't remember why and what it was, but we were just talking back and forth. You know, there was a bunch of us. We were just talking. And I was like, the whole time I'm like, I don't get it. Like, why would you like put, let's just say, you know, like, why would you put the ice cream there? Why would you put like that on there? And I was talking and then like halfway through, she's like, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, she's like, I feel so Korean right now. And then I look at her and I'm like, oh my gosh, Erin! I feel so white right now. And we just start cracking up because there really is that it's a perfect example of just this disconnect where it's like, she's like, I don't understand what your question is. And like, I might as well just have blue eyes and blonde hair, Mm -hmm. you know, be like.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, and that's where, like, and so we get it on, like, it's a catch-22, right? Like, we get it on both ends sometimes. Like, we get it from people, like, because I remember part of our trip in Korea was to, we, a family hosted us for a dinner. Mm -hmm. So we got to go to their house and see their life and just all, everything. And I was, at that point, I was, because, like, I don't know any, hold on, let me think. Before I say that, I don't know any Koreans that were raised traditionally. They're all adoptees, and so it wasn't until at that age, at fifteen, I was like, "Oh, dang! Like this is not what my life was like. <laughs> like <laughs> this is way different. Like, yeah. and I'm sure it's even different for someone who has Korean traditional parents, but in America versus just being in Korea, you know." And Actually, so, like, those, yeah, I
2: have a friend. So she's an actor out here. I did an Asian American um, theater production out here and then i it was super cool so like still friends with a lot of them but i talked to um one woman and we went out to coffee and i guess on that lines i didn't mean to cut you off no no go ahead so she's born here Mm -hmm. parents are asian and the first thing we did when we sat down or um for born from um i can't remember her ethnicity but you know not foreign yeah so we sit down and the first thing she asked me, she's like, honestly, Elizabeth, I find it so fascinating that you're adopted. She's like, I'm not adopted. I grew up with Asian parents. I just want to, like, understand. So she talks about mm. how growing up in an Asian household is, like, you know, like kind of the typical, I like, think tiger Mother or yeah, father t- type yeah, aspect, yeah, and how you're yeah. expected to like, you know, perform or do this or do that, and everything. So sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I did, you know, dodge a bullet of having really chill, you know, oh, no, I parents, dodge parents bullet, and everything. I dodge Absolutely, yeah, because she was just kind of going on and talking. So it was interesting to like hear that side mm-hmm. too, and she was just going on about how, you know, you're expected to become a doctor, you're expected to do right. this, and when I decided to tell them I wanted to be a actor they literally like spit in my face and like you know we're like you're never gonna make it and that's not a real job and everything so it's like um you know it's just yeah like we've been talking about just this so many like cultural disconnects and so many differences right. that honestly she couldn't understand from my perspective of being an adoptee and I could never mm. understand from her being a second generation um Asian woman you know yeah. Asian American so
1: yeah it's crazy. It's oh. all it's all it's all it's all a whirlwind. <laughs> it is. Um so uh, talking kind of more along the lines because of of just kind of a Asian American history and stuff like that. I've been I've been fascinated. I don't know if you're aware, but I've been fascinated with the rift that has been created between black communities and Asian communities. I don't know if you are aware, but there ha- there since the 90s really there has been um quite a divide in the race to equality between black communities and Asian communities. And so I don't know if you're aware of this history, but so before Rodney King in Los Angeles happened, um, there was a 12 year old young uh, black girl who was at a Korean convenience store. Um, the Korean store owner accused her of robbing, I think it was like juice and candy. It was like kid stuff. Um, she accused her, there was an altercation. She got, she ended up, um, shooting and murdering this young black girl. And it ended up that she had nothing. She didn't even steal. Wow. She went to, the mm-hmm. Korean woman went to court and was a slap on the wrist. I think she got probation. I don't think she had to serve any jail time, anything mm-hmm. like that. And it was a year before, after roughly around that time of Rodney King. And so the city, so the LA riots when that happened in 92 was primarily within Koreatown and Chinatown because of and within the the poor neighborhoods within Black communities around there, and so there is this altercation. And since then, are you aware? First of all, are you aware of this? Did you know this I was
2: mildly? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, so I'm aware. so yeah yeah,
1: and so what has been happening since COVID um, with the Stop Asian Hate campaign uh, after being formed, much after the Black Lives Matter movement. There, it's kind of been coming up again. And unfortunately, this the horrific things that have been happening to Asian Americans around the country, more or less times it's um, a black community member doing something to an Asian community member. Yeah. And so it's kind of been revitalized. And But I've been super fascinated with it because kind of what we've been talking about are things I have talked with my black friends about the, the, the struggle of, of, of person of color, right? And I can't really relate to a lot of the Hispanic culture, just unfortunately, because I haven't had too many guests on from that community. But from what I have researched and gathered and talked to between these two community members, I don't get it. There is so much oppression on both ends and by the same similar tactics, blackface, Asian face, um, slavery, and uh, segregation, to Chinese Exclusion Act, to uh, concentration camps for Japanese. Amer- so, like, there are similar mm-hmm. things. And I, I, I want to know. And I've I've been talking to a lot of people from yeah. my black community, yeah, yeah, friends, yeah. and Asian community. Is like, have you ever witnessed this? Have you ever felt this? What, you know, what are your feelings on that subject?
2: Yeah. No. I mean, I guess like. From this aspect, kind of, like, more sociological, I guess, Mm. standpoint on it is I, like, I feel like because Black Americans and Asian Americans are, you know, the, you know, people of color, they're, you know, don't have a lot of privilege because... They are on the bottom of the totem pole, you know, like mm. a Spanx do and everything. But yeah. in this aspect that it seems easier to attack each other because you're down there versus trying to attack,
0: mm. you know, maybe
2: the white the people on top and the system. Right. So right. I could definitely see like where that's coming from. So that leads like an interesting point too, John is that, you know, race is just such a convoluted and difficult topic, right? In mm. any aspect. Like most most people like don't like to talk about. You know, that's why like I talk too like about how it's yeah. so hard sometimes it's like, oh, brush under the rug and everything. That's why like another thing of like being Asian American, being, you know, ethnically ambiguous and everything and just growing up with everyone around me, I'm always like in any aspects, I'm like it's I don't judge people by their race, by their creed, or by their religion, any of that, right? Or by sexual orientation, anything. What I judge them by is their character and Mm -hmm. who they are as people, Mm -hmm. right? So that's like how I look at like majority of my life. So it's not that I look at someone and, you know, one thing that did kind of bother me, the Black Lives Matter movement was, you know, everyone, I saw a lot of, you know, my white friends and, you know, white You know, people back in Minnesota being like, oh, I'm going to, you know, buy this from this black, you know, store because they're black. And then it makes me think it's like, actually, that's like making it worse because you're literally supporting them only because they're black. You should support them because they're great or they're a great store. You know what I mean? Like really Mm -hmm. like focusing. So it's like it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like this weird thing that like I've just always kind of like, you know, like focused on, I guess, like just through the aspects of like, for me, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, like, it's more about like who you are as an individual. So it's really tough to like, look at a white person and be like, oh my God, all white people are horrible. Like, obviously your wife, my fiance are white people. Our parents yeah. are white. We love them, everything. Right. But, you know, it's, and knowing, you know, like, and in the black community too, of what's going on and everything, it's just hard to um, like it's to remember that it's more just the individuals and the people mm. versus like the overall race. And that's one thing that like, I've just like, I don't know, I guess I've just been kind of like uncovering. Cause like, if you, you know, kind of judge people purely by being like, oh, this is like a racial thing, or this is, um, cause you know, both, both you and I have, you know, black friends and Asian mm. friends and Hispanic friends. Cause you know, I've, for the most part, majority of people are chill, but the people who aren't chill, you know, they're going to be, unruly rude and corrupt Mm. regardless of if they're Mm. white black or asian like it's more Mm. just their own demons their own issues and that's one thing that i've just been kind of analyzing through like all of this social unrest and everything because it is i think it's really scary when people start to like really just divide you know what i mean and i guess i was Mm. like you know putting shots at like white people but it's because I'm a white, you know, we're white people to an extent, yeah. right? So it's like, mm. we feel like that's a piece of, you know, like who we are, but it's like getting to a point if you just kind of start, you know, segregating and marginalizing, you know, that's kind of what, you know, our system has done with white people in the past and like what, mm. you know, what what, how much unrest mm. it's created in our world. So it's like, I don't know. So that's kind of like how I just kind of see life more is just like focusing more on like the individuals who obviously, you know. Like
0: no, yeah.
1: create the
2: unrest and everything.
1: It's interesting because you're now, out of the last three or four of these I recorded, you're maybe like the third or fourth person that has both said that. Like the idea of not always inserting grace into either an equation or a support or anything like that, and that is just where I seem to have. And this is only because of my experiences and everything that like I've, yeah. I've gone through. Like I, I, I'm I opposite of that. I like like to your friend who – to your white friend is like I'm buying this because it's black because they're black. Yes. I think for me, like personally for me, that is a, such a big win because historically well, that, that person may not have bought it because they were black. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like So I like to see the flip of like – because I, it's my personal belief that you can come to the table and represent Asian culture here. I guess it's and- more.
2: I like the aspect that they're you know supporting the black business, but it's more just the reason and the ideology behind mm, it that you would gotcha. much rather want. If I was a black business owner, I would much rather want someone to purchase my shirt because they really oh, okay. liked it and thought I was talented versus, versus just because versus I was just, black and because okay. you feel bad I got for me. You. That's I got that's you. all. So, no, 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 no. I no. absolutely agree no, that it's okay, good to support. You. Oh my got, gosh. No, like,
1: no, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I didn't mean. I yeah. also didn't mean to, to to do that to you. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah. was confused on the context. Yeah, like, sorry. I, I did that one Because the last podcast, I do have a friend that, and he'll be on Ray a little bit more. I think you might have just listened to us as well. Um, but he's pretty adamant on that. He's pretty adamant on, on understanding because of maybe his military training where you strip all that away in the military. You are not black. You're not white. You're not Asian. You're brothers and sisters. You have to protect each other in a state of war. It, that is it. Mm-hmm. He has maybe carried that into his life, which is great because he's peaceful and a great chill mm-hmm. dude. But I'm also a point of like – but that's what makes – that's my American dream, right? Like when you get told the American dream, a lot of people have envisioned like this white picket fence and you own your own house and you blah, blah, blah. Yeah. For me, my American dream is the idea that we can come as Asian Americans to the table and say, these are the important issues that we feel represent our community and mm-hmm. that black people can come to that exact same table and say, well, within the black community, I want this. Mm-hmm. White people can do the exact same thing and that's what makes America. And so Absolutely. when my friend who is, I don't know how I and I am going to have him back on and dive deeper into. This, but he's pretty damn adamant that you should never bring race into it, which I understand to a certain point. Not saying that you're saying that, but that's what Ray was saying. Of mm-hmm. just like it's hard though because it's that same thing when people say like, "Well, why do you? Well, you're just using your race card." It's like, but like so much of our lives, if you're a person of color, involve race. Mm-hmm. You walk outside and people automatically know who you are. They automatically build off those stereotypes, right? right? Like, okay, you're Asian. So maybe you're super sexualized. So maybe I can talk to you in this way, or maybe you don't even mm-hmm. know English. So maybe I won't even talk to you because you're Asian and blah, 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 blah. And so I think it's hard for me to get that understanding. I mm. like your point of view better. of Well, understanding. yeah,
2: I guess like to insinuate too, is just race is super important. And obviously yeah. from this whole podcast mm. is it is important to speak up and everything, but when it gets put in overdrive, And it becomes the only focus that can lead to violence, unnecessary death, and just creating a lot of hate, honestly, Mm. just among people in general, where going back from the very beginning of being ethnically ambiguous, being, you know, growing up in a white community, being Korean adoptee and, you know, with all these different creeds and just different friends and everything is through my life, I've learned is just, you know, It is important to acknowledge race in a lot Mm. of aspects when it comes to yeah, like walk down the street, like you are an Asian American person, or you know, on set, or this or that. But overall, I feel like to not always be on edge and to have like a panic attack. It's important to, um, and just to like live just a chill life because I, honest to God, believe like I am literally friends with every race, every creed, every, and my life is so full because I understand and I come from all these different aspects and Mm -hmm. I'm very empathetic. So I literally put myself in their shoes. So when, you know, I talk about a lot of stuff, it's not just me being an outsider, but me genuinely trying to like infiltrate and be a part of dialogue, which is important. And that's the race aspect. But when it comes to just living life, you know, I don't want, you know, someone to be like, oh, she's Asian. like obviously should we go to like chinatown and get her like a chinese right, fan or something right. you know it's just like let's go get coffee and hang out and everything so i guess that's kind of like more on the aspects of like race is super important but i've noticed when it's put on blast too much it just um can sometimes spiral out of control yeah and 100%. lose control and lose its purpose too mm, and you that's a good forget point. where you're and then it gets to a point it's like being in an abusive relationship you're fighting and then after an hour you forget what you were even fighting mm. about but you're already so you know angry at each other that you just keep right. going
1: right and that's no, toxic
2: yeah. yeah so yeah that that's kind of more what i'm talking about so
1: for sure um so this is our this will probably be like our last bigger question and then yeah. i just have a few quick hitters but did you ever um well, first off, let me say this before I forget cuz I will forget. <laughs> what you um what you guys did with that Chung mean group, and I don't know if I've ever even told Brooke this or anyone right. from this, maybe Becky, but for me, it was super inspirational to see you guys do that. Um because for where I grew up and because so if you don't know the map of Wisconsin and Minnesota, I come from the closest border to illinois right the camp and where most of the campers came from were the the minnesota and wisconsin border and so i would say damn near probably 80 to 90 percent of that camp were people from minnesota mm-hmm. and then there was a couple of us that were spread around wisconsin when i left camp chosun that was it for my korean culture I had one Korean restaurant that I could go to. I had zero Korean friends. I had zero Asian friends in my town and everything. And so when I would come visit and see your guys' recitals and, like, a lot of the family, I could tell, like, okay, this is probably my 600th recital, so I'm getting sick of it. Like, I was super hype into it because, like, that was me seeing white America and white parents fully embrace Korean culture, and it, like I said, I don't know if I've ever told anyone of that, but like it was just really super inspirational to see you guys like hold. And I and I, I think I talked to Jordan about this because he was on your guys' like like crew for a little bit. And I was just like, dude, that's amazing. Like I understand like he thought it was goofy and like cliche and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like I know <laughs> a lot of the different groups did think that. But I was like from my point of view and perspective, People it was ama- goofy and cliche. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, I don't know if he's I don't know if he said that, but I could see where as a Korean adoptee doing it's just very it, you could see it as very stereotypical. That of course you are like it's like us playing violin or like me playing violin. Like of course and I the did. Piano. I'm Asian. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like I know there was always like like how important is this as a kid, like but for me it was like super cool to see. But back to my question, was there a time that you Either in acting or just growing up, that you went through any type of racial situation or anything that you can stick up. Because part of what I try to do, and like what's really hard about this with not having Randy on, is he can't always, I can't always bring the white perspective, which sucks. But I want people to know that like racism doesn't have to be this, like, just because you don't go murder someone of a different color doesn't mean you're not racist, and that racism and racial insensitivity can live in so many different life forms. Did you ever deal with that, or what did you were were you mostly able to skate by? Because I know a lot of people that skated by that, and even from the Asian community that I talked to, you're like, yeah, no, I never dealt with that. was like, well congratulations. <laughs> um, but did you, yeah. did you ever have any of that or was it mostly relaxed where you guys were? Or?
2: Yeah. So growing up, um, even though Matamita was very, very like white, one nice thing was that parents were very involved with their kids. So a lot of them taught them that, you know, racism wasn't good and to judge. So that's cool. I Yeah. So it was really cool. Like just a lot of very engaged parents. I mean, in high school, a lot of them got divorced and, you know, everyone grows up too but um that was kind of like nice for the most part but as i said like getting more into high school and dating and everything it's just kind of those innuendos and those aspects of you know as i brought up before of because you're you know not blonde hair blue eyed or because you're Mm. not a white girl or Mm. you know you look like everyone else on magazines or something or tv that's personified as gorgeous you're kind of seen as like Black sheep, or exotic, mm-hmm. or weird, or you're like mm-hmm. you're pretty for an Asian girl, or pretty for mm-hmm. you know this and stuff. So a lot of kind of that, you know i'm I'm grateful that I haven't had like a lot of just direct
1: no, racism, that's good, which is like That's good. good. That's but, the, that's that's the point we're trying to get to. <laughs> but
2: so yeah. in college, though, there were a group of guys that I went to a small you know school in Wisconsin, and. They, it wasn't until college, but maybe that was my fault for going to small little town, you know, school. Where'd you go? With a lot, it's called Northland College in Ashland, oh, yeah. Wisconsin. So very yeah. small. There's like 800 That's people. So small. that was kind of, and, you know, a lot of white people, you know, a lot of a lot farmers of and stuff, the farmers, you know, people who have never even seen, you know, an Asian person yeah. or black person or Spanish person, yeah. Hispanic person, yeah. excuse me. So that is kind of where I really got my first taste of racism Mm. like pure blunt racism a lot of it was just ignorant so like the first aspect is I was friends with um uh, or I had a friend um he's actually Hispanic and still friends with him and um his roommate we were just like hanging out one time and his roommate was over there and it was like stupid almost and thankfully my friend he like backed me up but his roommate was this blonde hair blue-eyed guy from a little farm town in Iowa Never ever saw anyone who wasn't blonde or blue eyed. You know, mm-hmm. he even brought that up. Yeah. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden he's like, Hey, Elizabeth. He's like, You know computers, right? And I'm like, What? Jesus I'm fuck. like, I guess. And then he's like, Yeah, so can you fix my computer? And I'm like, What? And he's like, yeah, you're Asian and shit, so like you could like fix my computer and stuff, right? And then like literally my friend like just because you know he's a person of color, thankfully, like, and then we're just like, we're like dude, that's like fucked up, like with that. And uh. I was like, what? I'm like, that's super racist, man. And then like, um, he actually got kicked out of school, um, because he was on the basketball team and he got like kicked out, and he was just a horrible person, obviously. So obviously karma dealt with well but that was like the fr- and that was like the first week of college i was like oh great i picked a really cool place to go to so but thankfully you know i had an advocate you know some of it was like super messed up and then um there was like a group of guys that labeled me and this bothered me um like through college they labeled me um they gave me the nickname ling ling which is That's super super racist and they would yeah. always go around and call me ling ling and then other people around campus because it was more like a boarding school because it was so small than like a college which I was like I should have gone to bigger college but regardless um you know I like the small classes and everything but um so I would walk around campus and like you know other people or their girlfriends or friends would be like hey Ling Ling hey Ling and then I would bring up constantly I'd be like hey don't call me that I didn't give myself that name and also that's racist because it's like Chinese connotation and I'm Korean or whatever the heck I am and then they kept calling me Ling Ling and it you know and then one of them graduated when I was in the middle of my sophomore year and he like came up like before he left, he's just like, I'm so sorry. You know, like I didn't mean to, you know, hurt you. Can you forgive me? And I was like, awesome. Like, no, I can't forgive you because you didn't listen to me when I told you that that's something that you're going to have to live with. And it was just, yeah. so I felt good. Like, that's like, I guess like the beginning point. Cause I was just so angry that I was just like I'm how could I like he was like you know I didn't mean to and stuff I'm like how could you not mean to when I've continuously said over and over again do not call me that because Mm. I'm offended and you keep like laughing about it so like he obviously has to like live with that you know all of them Um, but it was just this level of like ignorance too so I think Mm. that ties back into what we're talking about with ignorance is bliss where I kind of accepted it because so many of them had never seen people of color before yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, they don't know any better, right? Like I'm their first, but that's not okay at the end of the day. And that's why it's like, right. it's important to like right. speak up and say it. So I'm happy that like at the end, cause it was just like a continual thing or, um, you know, just like, I don't know, just like, you know, just a lot of other, you know, just, you know, just, you know, like that, you know, just like not really like another, Example would be, you know, I was doing pageants and stuff. There was a girl, and I can't remember, but she was blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl from um, small-town farmland, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, obviously, I was probably <laughs> first person of color she probably had ever seen.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we were getting ready for going on stage, and I remember she was talking, and she was just like, um, what did she, she said something like, oh, you know, I really— um, it was something about like Vietnamese people. She's like, you know, I really like Vietnamese people because you know they're just really good at like doing nails and stuff. Like that's the only thing that they really do in life is just, Jesus. um, you know, like they just do nails. But you know they're just so good at it. Like obviously it's you know they love doing nails and, and she just went on and actually went off on her and I think I scared everyone. Um, so I there are op- ahead, you know you there are, yeah there are times <laughs> where like I just do go off on people. I was like no. and I was like blank I'm not gonna say her name obviously for privacy reasons um but you know I was just like blank like I'm like that's completely uncalled for that's just straight up racism I'm like that is not okay to say I'm like and I just like went off and like all these blonde hair blue-eyed girls with pageant dresses they're all like look at me like what the heck <laughs> like, yeah. you're, like what, what, this girl like this girl's ratchet or something but yeah. I was like that's not okay I'm like not all Vietnamese people do nails and you can't say that I know white people yeah. black people that like, do nails and I just go off on her but then like everyone was like scared of me but like I was proud of myself because like you know, I guess there are times when it's just like, you know, like you just blatantly hear something that's so ignorant, but it goes back mm. to that ignorant thing where then she was like, well, I didn't know any better and stuff, or just, you know, and then it's just like you <laughs> dismiss it and you're like, oh, well, and people even use that as an excuse. And I'm like, no, that's not an excuse anymore.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm over that excuse too. Cause like it's 2021. Like we have, <laughs> we have something flying around Mars. You should be able to tell that it's <laughs> exactly. super inappropriate and racially insensitive. I
2: sensitive. mean, this was it's like a accessible. decade ago, mind you, but no, still, no, but yeah, but then, still, yeah, had, absolutely.
1: We, 10 years ago we'd been to the moon.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So.
1: You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. like, because, because that gives the reasoning that And not to say that you believe in that. I'm not saying that you believe in like that whole, like, I didn't know better. But I know a lot of people do truly believe in that. Like, well, how am I supposed to know? It's like, but you wouldn't, if it's not something you're going to say to a white person, like, where are you from? You're never going to say that to a fellow white person. Where are you really from? Yeah. I'm not saying like where you're from. Where are you really from? And and then when they give you an answer, you continue to ask them. You would never do that to a white person. So why do you have to do it to an Asian person? That's. In racially insensitive, which is wrong.
2: Absolutely.
1: Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and I know that it's different now because there's just more acceptance of that. But like well, that excuse is still being used. That I like, I've heard that within the last month, mm-hmm. and it's like bullshit, bullshit. You don't know that it's highly inappropriate to ask certain things. You know what I mean? Did your parents ever? Um, and this this will truly be the last question before a no, no, quick. No I'm did, your, this, did, so. <laughs> did your parents ever? Um have that race talk with you. Cause mine did mine for sure did. Like it wasn't as intense as maybe certain other families have to do, depending on their circumstance. Right. Like, but it was definitely, I remember having a conversation and my parents, I don't even know if something had happened to spark the conversation. I'll have to ask them, but we had a conversation. I'm just like, there are going to be people in this world that don't accept you for what you look like. They're going to not accept how our family looks, and mm-hmm. these are things that you can't, you know. I'm really blessed to have a mom who's a librarian, so she gave me so instead of just like leaving it at that, she'd go, Well, read this book about the civil rights movement, read this book about Vietnam war veterans that came back that are Asian that had to deal with a like. She gave me a lot of resources to do it, which I'm grateful for, but I know a lot of people that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but did your parents was that ever a thing in your household?
2: Um, I think more so just, like, the aspects of, like, adoption overall and everything. Mm. I guess not too much. That's really cool, though, that, like, your parents kind of – you
1: know like oh areas. elizabeth if i took you to my hometown you would see why they had to have that conversation with
0: <laughs> me like,
1: okay. I lo- trust me i love it and i go back there a lot i still have in-law families out there i spend a lot of time there i'm helping with certain
2: yeah uh, school
1: district things with them but i but, guess
2: that makes sense because you grew up in like but, a small town right i'm talking yeah
1: there how many people did you graduate where how many were in your graduating had, okay. high school class if you mm-hmm. had to guess
2: 200 so actually mine was small
1: yeah, so. so mine was half of that still. Oh, like mine was probably like a hundred, a hundred twenty ish.
2: So you probably came from the towns that I was talking about with the people who are racially no, yeah, sensitive. yeah, yeah. To no, no, me. yeah that, that, like Ashland Atlantic, is but. probably
1: the same. Like it's kind of what Lodi looks like. Right. It's just No, so they yeah, would even but,
2: come from smaller places in yeah.
1: Ashland. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I have, I have, I have. Uh, there is a town that's technically part of Lodi, but it's unincorporated. Yeah. That's how small it is. Like we for track, we run our town. Okay. Like we just do a huge loop around the town because <laughs> okay. it's that small um but was so that yeah, was never so, really a thing well, huh. um,
0: That's good. i mean
1: though. i think
2: it helps because you know we were close to the cities we, you know i started doing um mm, when point. i was in fourth grade started doing um uh camp chosen when i was like third fourth grade too you know just always and then we would just like always just do stuff related to like Korea and just um, be like super, super immersed. So I just never like really felt kind of like, you know, like out of, you know, out of place where like, I Mm. think that if, you know, it was like a super small town or something where like you would be expecting, I think that's really noble and cool of your parents to like, you know, kind of do that, you know, to, to let you know, but um, I'm sure just growing up too, you know, it's difficult to kind of bring it back I, to my thing ju- too. It's just like, no, it, it, I joke
1: it, with them. I'm like you, that's the least you could do. Mom and <laughs> dad is have this conversation. With <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, a,
2: I, like a necessity. Yeah.
1: The, no. And I, I mean, my friend, my parents don't remember the times like, cause like, I don't, and I don't know if this is maybe the, your opinion would share on this. Like, I don't know if racism is different between male and female necessarily. Like when it comes to Asians, because like, I got mine outwardly toward me and at a very young age. You know what I mean? And, like, and that can be a lot of things. And that mine be was more...
2: Up. Mine was more... And I think Andrew Yang's wife can agree to that too, the the politician. Yeah. Where it was lit much later and I was just overly sexualized, right? Kind of yeah. what we we're talking about. is was just Asian yeah. women are just seen as...
1: Sex toys. That's exactly. what we're seeing. As. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part, just
2: overly sexualized. Exactly, yep. and like down, you know, DTF, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> just like yep. everything. Which, yep. um, and then like I said too, is I think honestly it did help that like I was ethnically ambiguous. talk ethnically ambiguous and kind of uh, did look like my parents too, which
1: because that's kind of what my friend Josh, who was on like two episodes ago, his dad is, is his dad. From China and his mom's from Kansas. I think I think that I think that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his mom's white and his dad's Asian. Yeah. And so he kind of has that's why your story is like makes me think that could be a real theory that you have, because he also probably is a truth. (laughs) Right? He is like you, where he he from an Asian community person, we would see him as Asian, but I could see how a lot of white people might interpret him as just white but he kind of talked about that same thing where it wasn't like he he never got it necessarily outward but he now that he looks back at it he doesn't know if it was just something that he didn't get at that moment mm-hmm. or he didn't think about kind of like what you're saying of just like and it's not until now you think of like well, oh, maybe i was kind of a fuck that moment you know yeah well in but- korea
2: they all thought that i was white and um,
1: that's so interesting. One, and
2: one thing that's very interesting too. I'll like digress a little bit. But my friend, she's Ethi- still best friend. She's Ethiopian. One of my mm-hmm. best friends. And she, when she came to America, when she um, immigrated here with her family, her mom and her mm-hmm. brother, they went to a boarding school in Iowa that was actually predominantly Korean Koreans, which is crazy, right? I think crazy, farmland, yeah. like, but it's just all Koreans, right? Crazy. It was like 90% Korean people. I'm like, oh that's so cool. So she went there um for a few years, learned English and got acclimated. And then she came, you know, to my school came best friends. But anyways, she was going to a reunion and I remember that a couple of days before I was at her house and we're looking at like a yearbook, right, of mm. her, her boarding school. And she was like, oh, so there's like this type of way that like Korean people – um, have this like hot or not list, but it's like only for Koreans. Right. So she would like go through and she'd be like, Oh, this person's hot, but this person isn't. And like, to me, you know, being an adoptee and outside, I'm like, Oh, I don't really see the difference. I thought everyone was like, nice looking. and I was like, I don't get, so then I was like, Oh, do you think that you could bring a picture of me to your reunion? Cause you're going in a couple days over the weekend and ask them like where I would fall. So I was, she was like, okay, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we had pictures obviously. So she like, um, just had it. And, um, I remember I saw her in silence class on Monday, and like I was, she didn't bring anything up. And I was like, "Oh, I'm like, you know, what happened to so like, what did they think of my picture of it?" She's like, "Oh yeah," she's like, "Almost forgot." She's like, "Yeah," so they looked at your picture, and they're like, "Wow, this girl is stunningly beautiful and gorgeous, but she's white. She's not Korean at all. She's definitely white." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, what?"
0: That's so I was crazy. just like
2: another scenario where it's like so weird that like. A lot of Asian people think I'm white. White people think I'm Asian. I believe that I'm cr- like Korean adoptee. So it's like it's this all this like layer mm, beyond layer of just yeah. like insanity too. That yeah. I wanted to share.
1: Um, so we'll get into our quick hitters. These are just things that like kind of come off the cuff. So whatever answer comes to your mind, like let's roll with that. Cool. All right. Um, the first one, I I ask. I think almost every episode I've asked. Um, I put you in a room, maybe probably similar to one of our classrooms growing up, mostly white, if not all white people um, that live in a small community. Uh, what's one thing, if you had the power, I gave you the power, you get to put a seed in all of their brains and they have to live their life like that, right? So you have this magic power to have one thing take. What is that one thing that you would want them to take from that. For example, what we've had is we've had a lot of people say that um, my friend Farron said, I think empathy was one um, because she would like to see... White community she people under that's right? That's um, and, okay. and, and you can you can have the same one. Okay. Um, <laughs> and she kind of had that perspective of just like the empathetic view from when white people may see something on the news about a black man. Don't take it as a black criminal. And this is what what Farron was saying. My friend who was on like episode two, um she, I think that was hers, was just kind of understanding like when you see this news headline. Don't think of it as just the news headline and a criminal. Think of it as like, well, what were his circumstances? What was going on in his life? That empathetic point of view. But again, if it's empathetic and that's your one, we can roll with that.
2: Mm, I'm gonna try to be a little bit different. Um, But it's a hard um, question.
1: But this is why I do the the, no, no. I like this. So Mm -hmm.
2: this is what I would probably say is. And just from like all my like um, women and gender studies and just like race, you know, just from like mm. all my classes too, is thinking about is like similar to being empathetic. But I would say, especially I noticed like in the white community too, is a lot of the time there always tries to be like the white warriors, like people that step in, try to like help, mm. you know, the Asian community, Those you know, like black ally community. people. No, I mean, allies are good, but the people that try to like, make it their thing like you know they're like so this is what i would say is i would say um take a step back listen oh actually i started so the best way that you can help a person of color whether they're asian black just someone who isn't of the majority race in our society or seen as right like caucasian would be to take a step back listen to And just listen, honestly, just listen to the other races and what they have to say and what they want, because it comes down to the thing of if you're just talking over them or you're talking at them or you're telling, you know, like the Asian community that you want them to find, you know, justice in something, but it's like, that's not really what they're looking for. They're looking more for justice in this area, you know, so it's stepping back, not taking off your white warrior type of you know, aspect of everything and trying to, you know, fix right. everything. And the best right. way that you can fix something is to just listen and be an ally. I like allies. So it's not really like the, the ally no, aspect. No. It's more just like yeah, the, yeah. no, no, but I know, I totally know where you're coming from, but more like the, the warrior aspect of like feeling like, yeah. you know, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, help all these black orphans. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, my right. hardship of, you know, helping all these, it's like, okay, Not really. You know what I mean? So it's more so just taking a step back, listening, and letting the rightful people step up and have a voice. I think that is super like imperative. And even just be a white ally, like that waitress that I talked about to that Mm -hmm. family. Like just be kind, be helpful in every aspect of your life. And the other thing too would be noticing growing up in such a predominantly white community is be open. Mm. Uh, you know kind of like the aspect of us saying you know where we kind of got a little misconstrued with race and everything you know when we're talking about everything is Mm -hmm. um you know care about race understand race but you know like look at see us as people don't see Mm it you know what i mean and realize that i'm not asian so don't ask me to like give you a fortune cookie and you know tell you what's going on in china because a I'm not Chinese, you know, or if you're black being like, oh, how do you do this? Or, you know what I mean? So just seeing us as normal people, treat us how you would with your white counterpart. And that's honestly what I would put into all of their minds. And I believe that if that was replicated, the world could be a little bit more empathetic in a better place.
1: No, yeah, 100%. I like that answer because I think... Everyone that has answered this before usually came at a a more of a critical eye. And so I'd like how you're coming in as more of like, here's something that may be actually tangible for you to take. Right. Because I think that happens a lot. And to clarify, I just don't like the word ally because that leaves it to interpretation that there's another side. And oh yeah, me, absolutely. Like, yeah. To me, like there's no other side than just supporting people of color. Like no, totally. The, you know, no, what I, I, mean? I feel but, you. But but I a hundred percent agree with your the white war. And I like what you call it, the white warrior, like something mantra. like that. Yeah. I, no, I like that because it, yeah. it, it's true. Of just like there is a balance of being there, listening, and wanting to participate and learn and, and whatever. But then there's that line of understanding though, like understand at the end of the day, you get to go. And then just one more
2: thing to add is when I was doing one of my, um, I can't remember is this really like race in the work. It's just something like one of my classes, you know, in college. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. there was a story of this woman and she was a a black woman and she was talking about racial injustice and she was on Mm -hmm. stage and she was, you know, talking about her life then a white woman who's in the audience starts crying, like profusely just starts crying. Everyone takes all of their attention off of the black woman talking and tries to comfort and coax the white woman where it's like, you guys stop crying, stop bringing attention to yourself where it's like, that's one thing that does bother me is that regardless of any races, people just always need to make it about themselves when it's not about you. Mm. It can be about you, but in this scenario, let's just try to like take a step back and like realize that this isn't about you and the best way that obviously you're here you're present you want to help is to just you know excuse my phone but shut the fuck up
1: yeah (laughs) and listen you know my my friend chris who we just had a podcast the other day and it's dropping soon we talked about that too he called it white tears um which is a very similar mindset of understanding like this may be hard for you to swallow. May be hard for you to realize and open yourself up to. But,
0: but realize when you I, cry, you make yeah, it about yourself. Yeah, exactly. And you're deterring and
1: yeah. from the actual. And when thing. you overdo it, right? Like there's crying and being like, "Oh my god, this is just coming to me," and then there's like, "Oh, yeah, it's, and, like, and it's like." But okay, shut up and keep listening. Yeah, no, I, 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 I love that point. I love that point of understanding that I want. White people, And I know that there are, like, there's a lot of great white brothers and sisters out there that want to be a part of this movement, but you need to understand your boundaries and what, even while helping can still feel oppressive, right? Like, you may be posting all the right things, you may be going to protest, but if you, for some reason step into a line of discussion you're trying to tell people how they should feel or tell people about their own history it's like well
2: it's a thing where with black lives matter (laughs) i support it i would never Mm. step in and start talking for the black community because that's you know what i mean so it'd be like even that right right? like that's not my place i support you and i'm going to listen same as white people with you Mm. know asian or black anyone so exactly exactly
1: that um, this is a brand new hot hitter question that I haven't tried in anyone else. So Ooh. I don't know how this is going to go. Uh-oh. But if it, but if it's good, we're going to keep it. Um, what stereotype are you most sick of? What are the top three ones? Or top one. You don't even need to come up with three. But what are just some of those the stereotypes that you are sick of? Because for me, yeah. oh I hated... We might have similar. Who knows? Yeah. I hate the... Are you good at math? <laughs> um <laughs> I hate it when I'm driving, and oh my god, you already got my too.
2: Oh my god, friends,
1: because friends have told me like, hey, you're a really good driver, blah 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 blah. But like, there's that. But then there's the overabundance when I feel someone like, holy shit, man, you're a good driver. It's like, well, what the fuck did you expect? We grew, we went to the same driver's ed, and you're a good driver. What do you mean? And then the third one is like the whole like, where are you from? Go back to your country mindset because we we thought we hit it on a couple times so far is like this is our country um for and i think every adoptee has to go through this like patriotic thing of understanding like i like when people are like well if you don't like it, just go back to fucking korea I'm not from Korea. I, I have, have nothing I, there, man. I have nothing. This is there, my but, <laughs> yeah. This is my this is my country just as much as yours, and that's Second. why I always uh, that's why I always argue with people that like adoptees and people and immigrants have the str- maybe the strongest patriotic view to this country because like we left everything like not exactly. because of our circumstances that we controlled, but our parents did exactly. that. So then we would just have exactly. that American right mm-hmm. to be there. So what exactly. are you? What are, are what are your sick ones of?
2: Um, so gosh, honestly, you took like a lot of mine, but I'll try to like paraphrase diff like some of them. So let me think. So I would say the, the aspect of like, no, where you really from? Like aspect mm. of just like that constant stereotype of like, you're, I mean, theoretically we are foreign. But we're adoptees and we are Americans and we were adopted very young. So that's what we know. So right. even in Los Angeles, you know, with Ubers and they're not even white, they could be yeah. um, Middle Eastern. They could be anything, Armenian, anything. It's just still that thing of like, no, where are you really from? And I'm like, really? I'm still getting that. Even in-. So it's just yeah. like the, the aspect, too, of just not being a white person where like
0: yeah.
2: – um, you know I ask all my white friends out here. I'm like, does that have problem? They're like, no. I'm like, exactly. You yeah. know, because you're yeah. you're white. So they're not gonna ask you. And then so that would be like the the thing of like, no, where are you really from? And being yeah. being always perceived as a foreigner and kind of like my fight too as an actor to be like, hey, let's try to show what the other you know Asian community, yeah. but then also the Asian Americans out here. Mm. So I'm eager to like, you know, help with bringing that to light. So that'd be one. Another one would be, um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to switch it up for what you're saying. Kind of brought it up, but just like, <laughs> Over sexualized, so just like yeah. I'm good at, I just I, I'm just gonna like say it as it is because you know I'm comfortable, but you know like I'm good at giving blowjobs, I'm good at yeah. sex, I'm good at yeah. you know all that stuff,
1: that, and then that's a real problem. Like what people understand is like that's a really concerning thing within the Asian community with women is like the way women gets hyper sexualized as Asians is it's scary. You know, it's yeah. it's to the point where like you just assume. Asian massage, like that, was what made me. Fr- and sorry to cut you off. No, um, no, but, no, i like, hear My that. part of my frustration with the Atlanta stuff is like that played into it. Like, oh, well, he was just having a rough day, and he thinks this is going to help his sex. When, when the fuck would that be acceptable as an answer? And 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 the idea that you had to, you related your sexual tension and frustration to Asian is racist. Like and you don't and to me like just because you didn't say go back to your own country while you're killing these innocent women, that doesn't mean it's not a hate crime. Six out of eight people were women, Asian women. That's, that's, that's at a that's massage a, parlor hmm. in Atlanta, which the Asian population is around twelve percent. So you had to drive an hour away and go find these women. Like that's that's but but it goes so into what you're talking about of that of like there is this weird thing that somehow got tied into Asian women
2: I think a lot of it came from porn you know Mm. like the you know like a lot of porn is you know a lot of people look at like Asian porn and stuff like that so a lot of people look at porn I have nothing against porn at all right you know so but in the aspects that it creates this kind of like over sexualization Mm. of how all women you know it's kind of that this, you know, stereotype thing that I don't like too. you know, I'm talking about stuff. It's just like, don't put everyone into basket. Be like, Oh, yeah. it's an Asian girl. So she's, you know, good at sex and this and that. Right, and blah blah, right. blah. So that was just like, kind of tough because like on top of it too, then it's like, you know, not getting too personal into like my personal life. But then it's just like you on top of it, just have all of this kind of, um, uh, what word am I looking for? You know what I mean? Like all the stress of like feeling mm. like you need to like, be a certain, you know, be a certain way because they expect mm. that or they might like, you know, treat you a certain way or talk to you a certain way and like, expect right. that. and it's just like, like I'm, I'm a human yeah. being. Like, I'm right. just like anyone else and just, you know, let me, let me be. And if anything, you know, so it's like, um, especially, you know, through college and, um, probably mostly through college to be honest, cause you know, I've been with my fiance now for 11 years now. Oh my gosh. Uh, but you know, most of it just, I guess, would probably be there, you know, where I was single and, you know, just dealing with a lot of that stuff. So that would be the second stereotype is just Mm. over-sexualization. like. Mm -hmm. And then um, the third stereotype would be... um, um, Let me try to think. Um, You know, I guess kind of on the aspects of like... Um, I guess, you know, I, I honestly like just uh, what I would be honestly is just the, the driving aspect because, mm. um, there I went to, I have a friend who's a stand up comic out here, still is. And I went to like comedy store. I think she was performing there and, um, it was like amateur night and you know, a bunch of people there, right? You yeah. got the headliner or whatever, and then you right. have a bunch of other people. So, I showed up a little bit late. I learned how to do that after. There was only one seat, like, in, like, right in the center, you know, close to the stage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it was almost like the spotlight was on me because the spotlight was here. So I was like, oh, my God. So I just sat there kind of, like, sunk down because it was like, you know, I'm an actor and stuff. But, like, I just, when I go to shows and when I view other people, I just want it to, like, not. Mm -hmm. So, and especially in this scenario. So there's this older white gentleman and, um he gets on the stage he's like oh yeah you know like he's like I I guess this could tie into all of them actually he's like I love Asian women and he's just a creepy old white guy and he's just like oh I love Asian women like her and he points directly at me and I'm like oh my god <laughs> get me out of here it was like a full house too so I' was just like get me out of here and then he starts saying literally some of the most racist shit possible, where he's like, hey, are you bad at driving? He's like, I'm assuming you're bad at driving, you know, because you're Asian you know, oh, I bet you could, you know, give a good blow job. And he just literally, are you good at math? And he just kept going. And it was absolutely horrible. I told my friend after I'm like, I can't come anymore. And she's like, no, she's like, that guy is a piece of crap. I'll make sure like, if he's ever on the show that you'll never come again. I was like, that made me super uncomfortable. Literally for like a half an hour, he was just literally spewing out all of these like stereotypes from like math to, um, driving to being overly sexualized to loving Asian women, and then just asking me like all these like very culturally insensitive things. And the worst yeah. part, Jonathan, where it gets down to like me talking about like that scapegoat campaign that's going on and mm. the Asian hate, ev- what hurt me more than him talking was everyone was laughing.
0: Mm. Everyone
2: was laughing
0: and yeah. thinking that
2: it was okay for him to say that. And it hurt me so so much inside. I felt like yeah. I just lost all hope in humanity in that moment because I'm like, oh my god, I'm surrounded yeah. by assholes. And yeah. it I had no allies around. Like no one was like, are you okay or this or that. Mm. What I would do different now now that I found my voice, right? Like that was, mm-hmm. you know, when I first right. moved out here 4 years ago, I'd walk away. And I would make him feel like a dumb piece of shit because he is a dumb piece of shit. So right. he'd be in the middle of his act and I would just leave. Yeah. And then just make it super awkward versus just sitting there and taking it, right? Like kind yeah. of the aspects of trying to brush it under the rug. And I guess it didn't help too that I was laughing along too. So on the outside, I was like, <laughs> yeah. but on the inside, I was like, oh my God, I want to curl up and die right now. Yeah. This guy is so racist and horrible. Yeah. So that was, just- and,
1: I, and like, I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy and I've like watched a lot of the history and stuff and documentaries on it. It's
2: never okay to like.
1: But they're they're, 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 like comedians work in this weird space. And I mean true comedians, not this fucking guy who has no, no but but like, I'm talking like professionals, like the Kevin Harts, the the Richard Pryors, those people have this space because the jokes that they make about race come from a truthful, sensitive subject until it gets to the people. That are making the joke and harp on it, right? He could have said something really quickly, a dumb joke here and there, like really, like one. Honestly, you know, like I
2: felt it, like he actually hates Asian people. But that's what I mean. But that's, that's the thing, what is I mean. honest the to God, like keeping it right? real, is I think yeah. he actually hated Asian people and he just used his comic yeah. and being yeah. on stage as an opportunity yeah. to yep. show his Asian hate.
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna be because, honest. Because you because like I've been to stand-up shows, smaller shows, where it's been racially controversial mm-hmm. but you can tell by the way that they go about it the 100%. class that they have they go Absolutely. about it the, the the premise that they set up the story mm-hmm. that they build towards a punchline, like that's different like if you're Absolutely. doing that oh i was creative, cracking up and my insides right, right, exactly. most of but them. if you're this guy that sits here and harps on it and sticks to stereotypes that everyone knows like that's a bum that he, he was trying know. to yeah. like
2: hurt me for no right. apparent reason and Asian people.
1: Well, they're trying to try and get famous, trying to try and get famous. That's what he's doing. Like let's let's just call it what it yeah. is. Like you're doing that because you think it's a quick moment. Um, I really want to thank you. This has been a really interesting, but like hey. the conversation I was hoping for for sure. Cool. Um, do you have? First off, where can people find you on social media and your YouTube stuff? Like, let's get out that out of the way. Where Where can people find you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on instagram at elizabeth kahn k-a-h-n and elizabeth the z and then an underscore so it's elizabeth kahn underscore and you can find me on facebook at elizabeth kahn you can send me a friend request friend request and then also i recently started a youtube show that Um, it's kind of just a little bit about me and life and I'm actually bringing on some more production and people to it too. Um, and my music it's, um, the real Elizabeth Khan, the real Elizabeth Khan. Um, I recently changed the name. So if you want to check that out on YouTube and subscribe, I'd really appreciate that.
1: Awesome. And do you have any last words or anything that you'd like to get off your chest?
2: Honestly, like,
1: or questions, I guess, I, I, I guess, or anything.
2: Yeah, I guess like, Thank you for having me, John. Like, I really appreciate it. And honestly, because I said that this aspect of me finding my voice is so new, you know, mm-hmm. because of everything. yeah, I've been really wanting a platform to be able to, like, speak out and, like, a comfortable, safe platform to speak out and share all of these, like, thoughts and ideas of race and what I've been for through. Sure. So I really appreciate you um, inviting me and being a guest because it's just been, like very freeing and like therapeutic for myself too so
1: that is like the like and this is that was definitely an an unintentional thing about when randy and i started this that we've been getting a lot of comments of our guests like it's super therapeutic and so like i i thank you for the kind words but it was totally an accident of how that came to be but like (laughs) i just think it's really important because i think when you can it's hard to go to someone especially from a white community to say hey racism exists yeah and they're just gonna be like all right go on, go on. Um, But if we can have conversations to show how it affects, how it dictates certain parts of our lives, how it just shapes us, right? I think more people are going to be open to the idea that it exists and how it can truly affect someone. Um, But we are going to have you back on. Yeah, I'm um, excited. Because there are for sure things that we didn't dive into that I want to. Totally, I'm excited. Um, But yeah, thank you everyone for listening and sticking in there. Wait, Um,
2: I have one question for you, John. Go ahead, go ahead. So, you did meet your birth mother, right? I did. Did you meet your foster mother too then?
1: Yes. Yep. I met my foster mother, uh, like two days before my, uh, birth mother. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. Okay. I just had a question about that. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I know it was definitely a crazy experience. She like even remembered me, which was insane (gasps) that I could think of, but yeah, it was, and then they actually had, I don't know, well, you might not have had it, but there is, the one – there's an agency in Korea that every child mm-hmm. gets their picture taken on, like, a red chair. Yes,
2: I know, yeah. but I don't yeah. – yes.
1: Yeah, so the, they had that chair still and, mm-hmm. like, we were in the room that they take the pictures and she, like, looked at the chair and then looked at me and she goes, I remember when we did this – at that time, I was fifteen. I think years we ago. did
2: that too. It's so yeah. funny. It's cool. so
1: crazy. Um, but yeah, for all of our listeners, um, please like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us at the Homegrown Podcast, and we are available on Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, and wherever you get your podcast. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will tune in next time.
2: Awesome! Thanks for having me, John.